Hey, this is Erivan, and you're listening to the Phantasm Podcast. Phantasm. Maximum terror. That's your target audience, baby! Phantasm. You know something? I sort of enjoyed it. Phantasm. Sell the metal! Sell the metal! Sell the metal! Sell the metal! So now, it, it, is it expensive as hell to live there, or has it went back down? Or? Oh, the uh, property taxes are like the second highest in the country. Jesus. Not the highest. Yeah, um, I have friends. That's one of the reasons my parents moved out when they, at a certain point, they were they were spend, spending $10,000 a year on property taxes. Wow. And, and I, yeah, and I've still got friends there, and if they're homeowners, they're, they always complain about that. And you just got to... As you get older, that becomes a problem because you make less money, and now you got to worry about this ten thousand dollars every year. You know, oh yeah, it's you know. You know, speaking of Jersey, I when I interviewed uh, Dee Dee from Overkill about six months ago, I brought up in the interview how you and I had talked, you know, last October about you you doing some shirts for them. And he was like, man, I have not talked to Erie in forever. Oh, yeah. Once Bobby left the band, I, I, I didn't talk to those other guys because I just wasn't really friends with them as sure. much. Sure. You know, I mean, I met them through him, so I'm still friends with, with him. But uh, I, every once in a while, I see some ad or something, and I'm like, they're still playing Jesus Christ. But he, the, I'll tell you, I told Bobby, because I also got to interview Bobby, too. Um Blitz or whatever, and they were both just like tell him hi and I. Yeah, we were always cool. It was no big deal. Yeah, they were. They spoke real highly of you. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, um, no, we were we were cool. You know, I I, I was uh, you know I, I took some pictures of them. Uh, I think in Lamores in Brooklyn. That's awesome. But, um, they um, they were cool. You know, they was they were just always you know trying to uh, you know make it up the ladder. You know keep getting bigger shows and selling more records and stuff like that. So I didn't really know him that long, but we had, um, me and Cuffs didn't have like mutual friends. So we'd also run into each other at other people, you know, when I was hanging out with somebody else sure. and stuff, you know, and he's still, uh, I still just through, just through Facebook. I say hi to him every now and again. Or give oh, awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, it, you know, it's weird. I, when I interviewed them, because I, I had never, I, I didn't expect to interview both of them. Um, and for the same record, I got to. But it's funny, <clears throat> I, I was telling them, I, I think they're one of the most consistent bands at what they do. Because I, you know, a lot of those thrash bands seem like they went in and out of what they kind of style they were doing or whatever. But I, they always felt like they just kind of had a vision and just ran with it. I always thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I couldn't really tell you. I just knew what they were like then, but I haven't paid attention to them since. 
and I mean, like twenty years. Sure. <laughs> by I, I, you know, I some you know, there's some bands that they. They, this is what they do, and they just keep doing it until people stop buying it. Right, you know? <laughs> and it's just like you want. They, we know what you want. This is what we're going to give you, and you know. And as long as you can go out, people still want to pay to see you play and stuff. Dude, what the hell? You might as well do, you know, what's working. Right now, but uh, yeah, those those bands were always like back then. It was sort of like a movement, you know. It felt like. You know, there was certain bands that played like this, and there were certain bands that played like that, and they never got together, and it was always like, you're either with us or against us, you know, so they were that kind of band, you know. They, right, they were right. dedicated to that style, you know. What other bands around Loda, you know, obviously, you know, we'll get into your your portion of that as well, but so, so you got Overkill. What, what There was probably all kinds of stuff there what, when you all were, like... Yeah, I can't remember anything going on. Those guys were in like, oh, I don't know, they were in like Long Island or somewhere like that. Right. I can't remember where the hell they because me and James went over to the rehearsal place somewhere. And that was like, I can't remember. It wasn't in Manhattan. It was like, you know, like where the Ramones were from, you know, like, sure. kind of like yeah. Queens or like someplace like that. And I could, oh, I always got lost. I was like, somebody else is going to tell me how to fucking get here. Because I, <laughs> I don't, I, I was like, I go to Manhattan and that's it. Um, but yeah, there was nothing going on at Lodi. I mean, like when the Misfits were, were still together, there was, um, you know, Steve's band, there was my band, and that was it. You know, right. um, all these guys I went to high school with they're all like I see them on Facebook that they're all musicians and I'm like well, when did this happen because none of them were musicians when I, when I <laughs> but there was a, we there was a lot of we had um, <coughs> I was telling Mel we had kids when I first went to high school there was like kids who were like the best this guy was the best drummer in town and then there was another guy who was younger than him and he, he was good too but he'll never be as good as this guy and you know, we had guys who used to walk around with drumsticks in their hands all day long, you know, like drumming on tabletops and doing stuff. And they had like necklaces with drumsticks on them and shit. Wow. And so there was a lot of, there's a lot of musicians and a lot of music always in Lodi. There was always bands. They were all garage bands and stuff. Sure. Um, like everybody played. Um, it, it, but, you know, like nobody did anything. I mean, if, if you... You could get a gig playing, you know, covers on the weekend. You know that was good because that's all Jersey just wanted you to play. You know, covers. They just wanted a band that everybody knew the songs. People could like dance or whatever. Right. Uh, so you were lucky if you could do anything. Nobody was making any records, but there was always a lot of music though. And we were so close to the city, it didn't really matter what was going on in Jersey. It was like a whole different world. Like going into going into Manhattan and going into the village or whatever, seeing bands playing their own music and everything was amazing. And everybody in Jersey, as far as we were concerned, was just like, they were, they didn't know what was going on. They were, it was backwards, right. you know, but, th but there was these, there was these bands that like, they played covers and they would play like in a weekend, they'd make like $2,000 or something, Damn. you know, and, or, you know, each guy would make 500 bucks in a weekend. And that's more than you made at your regular job or whatever. And so, and they had fans, they had groupies and everything. It was crazy. And they just, they would just do 
covers, you know, but they thought they were like great because they played these cover songs and everybody like, you know, they'd get paid and they had chicks and stuff. And, and I was just like, you guys, this is nowhere, you, you know, it's like you got to write your own songs, you know? So that's why there was a big, it was total divide, you know, between like the whole, all, all the punk bands and all the stuff we were into and all the like long hair metal guys or whatever, you know, or just rock and roll Jersey types. Right. To totally like, yeah, it was death. We hated that stuff, you know, but they're still doing it. Now they're doing it in Nashville. I go, I, you know, <laughs> if I ever go down to Broadway, um, I went in last time I was for whatever reason. Um, there was just, they were doing like Bon Jovi, 80s, you know, hair metal stuff. Weird. In, on Broadway, you know, I was just like, yo, you got to be kidding me. That's really weird. Oh, it was awful. That was one of the reasons, like, you never go down there unless you go to, there's only, like, two bars where you can go hear real country music. And so you got to go, you know, outside of that area. That's, like, where the tourists go. And then you go, you can go blocks away and to see real music, but, you know, you have to know where it is. Right. Just like anything else, you know, just like on the on the outskirts of town, there's always some, some real music playing, you know, and there's bluegrass everywhere and stuff. And there's always bands at the VFW and shit, so that's what's great about Nashville, is you want music, it's everywhere. Oh, yeah, it's... And then I... You, I think you told me this a long time ago. There's a lot of a lot of people go there just to record. Yeah, well, sometimes you know it's always been like that. People think um, it, it does make a difference it, when, say, like you you're used to recording in you know New York all the time, and you decide to go to L.A. to record. It, it'll make a difference on, on your record, you know. Like at least it used to. Um, changes. Keith Richards says, "So let's change the backdrop. So let's go to the Bahamas." Right. And, do a thing because I'm sick of being here. Let's go and change. And, you know, so yeah, people will go just because they think there's something in the water, you know, or, um, but if you want to go and you want to play country, you know, there's all the good players are in Nashville. So if you can afford them or they're not busy, you can get these great guitar players and play on everybody's record. The only problem is they sound like everybody's record, you know? Right, right. So, but they're still phenomenal, you know. It's still the best thing you could do with some of those guys is just say, do whatever you want, because you know they're not used to that. They used to say, okay, here's your charts, or we need this, or, we want you to do this, we want this lick, or whatever. And it's, those guys play so much; it is so great. If you just say, yeah, just play off the top of your head, then they just then they just go off, and it's fucking awesome. Right. So. Were you? Did you all do? Were were the all four of the Danzig records? Were they the first? You know, the first four. The were they? Did you all do those all different places, or were they all done in the same studio? Or I mean, I no, know. We, we wherever we were. I mean, like I'm trying to remember. Yeah, we recorded the first place we ever recorded at for Danzig. We had done some session for um, for another for other song for uh, this movie soundtrack. Um, I can't remember where that was, but it was in the city. Um, but we we were on Mercer Street, which is in like Soho, I think, for the okay. first session. Okay. And then this, it kind of like um, like Chuck broke his pedal, and we had to like wait till we could find another one that he want that he liked. So we kind of, I think it was Rick, probably said it's not really happening. Let's go somewhere else. And then we went to another studio and wound up recording all, all, everything over again. 
Um, but like when we were in LA, we recorded at like three or four different places. They had like the record plant where like everybody goes. Right. You know, like you know, Prince was there, or you know, John Lennon recorded at the record plant. Wow. You know, stuff like that. So then there was studio, uh, studios like Ocean Way. Um, like um, there was that uh, was Sound City. You know, that real famous. Oh theater. yeah, yeah. You know, so there's a ton of places. Plus, there's a bunch of smaller studios where you're you're going to go in to just do vocals here, where you're just doing guitar overdubs and stuff. And you usually go, you know, if you like the engineers, at least back then. You know, if you didn't, you're not bringing your own guy in. You would go where you liked. You know, I need to do this, or maybe we're going to do us uh, just some basics. And they have good people there, so it, it didn't really. We we, we did. Um, we did Hollywood Sound and a couple of other places, but it was always cool because um, they still had big rooms, you know? They still had real rooms. And, you know, everything was like wood. And right. It was great. You could just hear it. You go, like, I used to love going into the empty rooms of, you know, and just like clapping your hands or snapping your fingers or just hearing it, what it sounds like in the middle of the room with nothing in it. And you go, yeah, this will be good for, for, this has got a good vibe, you know? And and that's it. Like A and M. I mean, Jesus Christ! I was so it was so cool to go there. <laughs> I mean, that was that was Charlie Chaplin's like movie studio. That's crazy. And I was totally into that stuff. So we were actually the, the sound stages that he made movies on are still there. That's, that's they're still being used. We did videos and stuff there, and we mixed the record. Like Aerosmith was in the next studio, and wow, you know, all that stuff is. Oh, I loved all that shit. That was great. You know, I, I missed going to those big studios and, and everybody playing in the same room, you know, and, and, and the engineers with all their little studio tricks and why they're using this and why they're doing that, you know. Yeah, that stuff was great. Did you all ever record, like, like you were saying earlier, I know a lot of, I remember a lot of artists when I was they recording the Bahamas. Did you all ever do anything crazy like that, record in Europe somewhere or anything like that? No, we're not, we weren't that kind of band. You know, that's it's definitely it was like more of a, you know, it's like a Jersey thing. Me and Glenn would be like, that's ah, too much trouble. Why right. do we want to do that? Sure. You know, like it's like, why do we want to go somewhere where we can just drive to the place and you know record for like a week? We just go down to the studio every day. It's nice. We know we're you know we still got our favorite restaurants and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. You know, it's 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 definitely. We were never that that kind of band, you know. It was just like, no, let's do what makes the most sense. Now, with um, with Lucifuge, was it was that a different approach, uh, or was it still in the same vein? Do you think from the first record transitioning to Lucifuge was that because I I love the first four records to death, but I, there's something about Lucifuge. I don't know. Is it was always my favorite record. And I, um, I was curious, was it different for you or do they feel like two different, you know, is it chapter one, chapter two? Does it feel like, you know, creatively, was it a lot different for you? Did you, or and did you like, I know you love, uh, the third album, but I was curious. Yeah, uh, no, Little Lucifuge is a great record. I really liked it. We did record in a smallish, um, studio that we did almost the whole i think we might have mixed it somewhere else i'm not sure i can't remember but yeah we were like not like a big name studio it was just one that like rick liked to work at um and uh 
it was I think it might have been Hollywood Sound, yeah. Um, and it was cool because um, we were out in LA, so it was a whole different vibe. Um, we we had a good rehearsal place. We were rehearsing like three times, three days a week, maybe more. And the the songs were just you know the band was becoming much better, and he, you know everything was easier. And Glenn was writing. Um, some really good stuff and the the, well, the lyrics were great it was more like I've, I thought we were getting away from sort of this the, the more spooky rom- romantic kind of shit some of the stuff that reminded me of the Misfits you know like right. um, and the way it sounded of course uh, was completely different and it sounded more like I thought you know we should sound like that was what I hated about the first record it just didn't sound like us you know right uh, and it was just too dry, you know. But uh, yeah, it was real cool. It was a good record. It was a good vibe. Um, we the only thing we did was we tuned down half a step, which we didn't even tell Glenn. Um, <laughs> one day, one day, John just says, "From now on, we're we're tuning down half a step." I said, "Okay," because I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't even know people did that to, to make it sound heavier. I just remember people doing it for like different guitar tunings you know sure. different styles or whatever like slide and you know whatever but um so yeah we just we did that and i just thought it was a really good record it was it was um you know just really it was more romantic and um spooky and there's more blues in there you know so it was a really good record and a good time for the band you know um but yeah and it was it seemed to be good it was it was I don't remember anything bad happening. We tried to do, we tried to use a click track once on something because we never did. And Chuck never did. He's a punk rock guy. Of course, right. You know, so um, we tried to use a click track on one song or one part. I think there was a thing that had, the, the, t- the timing had to change or we were just not getting it to where, um, you know, it just was speeding up too much, whatever. Well, we tried it a couple of times, and I think we eventually just abandoned it. But, yeah, it was, it, it was. I think it was all fun and exciting, and we were in Hollywood and stuff and all that. So it definitely affected the record. But I, I don't know. And Rick was out there, too. Like, the whole, everybody was out there. And um, I think if we had made that first record and we were in L.A., I don't think it would have sounded like that because this, it was all done in New York. You know, it's all that stripped down right. stuff. I think the attitude would have been totally different. It would have been interesting to see how the those songs from the first record would have been recorded at a later time or whatever. Or you know what I mean? Sure, sure. But, but "Lose Your Job" is, is definitely you know those are my two favorite records. I like I like all the records except for the way the first one sounds. I mean, the songs are great. Um, you know, it's really. You know, all the lyrics are great, and it's just they're they're really good songs, and arrangements are good. You know, it's just I wish they sounded more like Lucifuge. You know, right. So with Lucifuge, uh, was was the label were they behind you after the first release? Were they like, oh yeah, did you a little bit bigger budget, a little bit more freedom? Yeah, we had well, we we always had freedom. Like nobody's gonna tell us what to do. That <laughs> never that never happened. And of course, Glenn's famous for just saying, "No, I'm not doing that." Or, <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, so it was pretty much like you know, you. He, he, 
it was kind of like, you signed us, uh, this is what you get. <laughs> so uh, we didn't have a problem with that. Yeah, we got a better budget. Um, we, they usually, um, if you were around for like three records, your budget would, would go up each on each one. Um, and I don't remember what this, the thing was. It was always a problem with distribution. Like when they first got out to L.A. in like 89 or 90 when the comp- record company moved out there. Um, there was Geffen distribution, and I don't think Geffen really liked the label. Definitely didn't like the bands on the label. Right. Um, so the distribution wasn't as good. And then they went to Warner Brothers, and that's when it, it got better. Um, but we still we still weren't selling as many records as we could have because because of problems like that. And basically, like it's not only like you have a label, like your label has to, your people have to like your band and what you're doing and stuff. And if they don't, they won't work the record. Right. It's like it, it shouldn't be that way. But now you, if you have, now you need distribution outside of your label. Now you're going to Geffen, and if Geffen doesn't like your band or you know or these bands you have, then they're not working the record. So now you're in trouble. You know, because if you can't, if they don't give a shit and they're not just, you know, they're not distributing the records like to where everywhere it needs to be, then you're not selling any records. Right. You know, so um, it got, I think it got better with Warner Brothers, but we just didn't have, you know, we didn't, we couldn't get on MTV because Glenn wanted to make these videos that nobody would play. And that's how we, that's why we didn't sell enough records. But, the, um, it was a really good vibe, you know, during that that period. You know, like the band was, you know, kept kept getting bigger places. You know, things were just going really well. So I really like Lucifuge is a good example of that and all the crazy videos we made for it. Oh yeah, the the videos for that were, you know, my my favorite song on the album is Devil's Plaything. I love that fucking song. I was just thinking of that. The one with the hoods and stuff. So fucking awesome. And we thought that was hysterical. We just like, (laughs) this is so so spinal. It's ridiculous. And it was just like, who cares? It's just like, it's, you know, it's just funny, you know? And I remember that girl, the, girl and the and the owl yeah and, you know stuff like that the fire you know it was just so stupid <laughs> <laughs> it was great you know for me though like i'm a hammer horror fan so i, I it incorporated oh, like know, we were totally doing all that oh stuff. dude it was it was perfect for me like i mean it, it sold the record i you, you guys could have been playing polka and i was gonna buy it i was like this is fucking awesome <laughs> Yeah, we well, I thought the whole the whole LA thing was so funny because it was so new to all of us. Like Chuck hated LA because he had lived here before, or there sure, before with sure. Circle Jerks and Black Flag. Whatever, he just hated. He called LA Stucco Hill. <laughs> um, and Glenn, you know, I don't know. Glenn seemed to take to it pretty well, but um, you either stay out there or you move back to New York or Jersey or whatever. And and there's just there's a difference. And so he's still out there. Um, but it was, it was really cool. I mean, I liked it. And there was that whole Doors thing that was going on at the same time they were, they were working. The, that movie was just getting into production. Sure. And it, it's like the Doors were everywhere. And then we put out the record and we like rip off the Doors cover, you know, just to, to, to see if anybody's paying attention, <laughs> you know. And then the vinyl, yeah, the vinyl was the Doors cover and the cd was was the close-up that looked like the ll cool j cover which nobody ever said anything about <laughs> um 
it was almost exactly the same thing. He was holding some like one of those big gold, you know, or silver chains that said LL on it. Yeah. And Glenn's doing a thing with, and that had to be Ruben's idea. It's genius. Yeah, so fucking funny though. I was just like, nobody's catching these things. But eventually, people were like, "Oh, it looks like the door's covering." Like, yeah, you're pretty smart. <laughs> so you know. now, as far as the the meetings, and we'll go back to the first record, and we can and, and just weave in and out with that and loose fuge. Did you were were you going to these meetings with the record company, or was that just Glenn, or how was what was going on with that? Yeah, we didn't have no bad meetings. We didn't have any, you know, the only meetings we had were at the beginning when Rick wanted to, like, take us out to dinner and, and uh, schmooze us, you know, and, sure. and, and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, if Glenn, if Glenn had any meetings with Rick, um, they would be, like, the two of them would go to, to wrestling or they'd go out to dinner or... You know, something like that, because they're both not like social butterflies. So they 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 would just go somewhere and like sit and eat and talk, or talk on the phone. You know, there there weren't like everybody's always saying, "Well, you know, when when you guys decided to do this, I was like, we didn't decide to do anything. It just happened, and we right. just like you know, it was we was still the same band. So me and Glenn were pretty much like, yeah, there's things we do and there's things we don't do. Or there's things that we think are stupid, or if it's not cool, then we're not doing it. Right. And it was all up to our our judgment. Like Rick or anybody else could say, you know, make a suggestion. Nobody could say you should do this, or I, you know, you're going to do this, or you know, it, it would never happen. You know, right. it's just like, you know, what about this? You know, consider this, or whatever. You know, the way that you're supposed to talk to people if you want them to get do what you want them to do. You know, it's just. You know, was so Rick was Rick the go between between the label then with you guys or, or? no? Rick was Rick was the label. Oh, was so Rick was problem. okay. So Rick was yeah American. I knew so 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 he's he's the man. Well, he started. He's, he's with he was Def Jam. That's we signed with Def Jam when we first got gotcha you know, gotcha. And then when he's they then they split the record company. They, they him and Russell split the record company up. Russell took his bands. Rick took whoever he. Oh, wanted. okay. I didn't know. That. Yeah, and then he, then it was Deaf American, you know. Right. Then, then he, then they loved, they dropped the Deaf because Deaf didn't mean what it used to mean anymore, or it was a useless, you know, euphemism. It didn't didn't mean anything. So then it just became American Records and all that stuff. Right. But yeah, nobody ever told people tried to say. Basically, you know, you can't tell them anything, so you you couldn't you couldn't say, well, you got to do this. He would say, no, I don't. It's <laughs> like he would say, tell me why I got to do this. Just, uh, yeah, it convinced me. Tell me why it's a good idea. Then maybe I'll consider it. Um, but it wasn't like what you imagined. Like other bands, or somebody say, oh, you should really wear this jacket or get your hair cut like this, whatever. No, nobody ever told us thing one when it came to that. If anybody made a suggestion. If it wasn't a good suggestion, it would just be like, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing that." <laughs> you know, that's it. When it came to the way we looked and stuff, that was mostly me. You know, like you know, telling the guys, "Hey, you know, you, oh, you look good in that. You know, you should wear those boots." Nice. You, should, you know, it was, like, it was just little things like that. You know, like you know, here's here's your wristbands. You know. So with the the videos on the first record, and obviously they carry over into the second record. They were like little horror movies to me. Like I loved what you know, campy, but it was fun. You know, it was like 
like that, like I said earlier, the Hammer Horror stuff. It's like it's kind of campy and fun. And well, yeah, we wanted to do everything in black and white, which was great. And I, I liked all that stuff. But it was just like nobody really, nobody like the mainstream didn't get the joke. You know, it's tongue in cheek. Yeah, they didn't understand the references, and this, you know, making making the videos for people who were like in the know, like oh, our our people, our friends. You know, if we thought it was cool, you know, certain cuts we'd sit and watch and say, "Oh, with that we got that from that movie or whatever," or that's an old style thing that they use. You know, they used to use it. Nobody was using, and um, and the, uh, the director, the one guy who did. Most of the the first few, um, he he liked that kind of stuff too, and so that was pretty easy. But Glenn Glenn used to say shit like, "Oh, it just looks like Beat Club," you know. Which, <laughs> not everybody gets that because it was just a black and white German TV thing or whatever from the sixties. So every time he would say, "It looks like Beat Club." Uh, the director would go, "Oh, why do you say these things? It doesn't look like Beat Club," you know. And so and we did all this stuff, and it was it was crazy. The videos were, were like after the first one, I was I was like, why do I even need to be here? You know, because like I'm not going to be in this video. Why am I spending two days? It used to take two days to make the videos, and then I wouldn't even be in it. I was I was in mother for like one second, you know, or <laughs> one and a half seconds, and it was just like yeah, we used to kill ourselves. You know, we did the like you know playing performance videos. Yeah, we would play like we were doing a gig, and you do that for like five hours, and you're dead. You right. know, and, I, and then you see the edit, and it's just going, you know. <laughs> it was just like, come on, dude, you know. Now, the the videos on the first, say, Twist of Cain, Am I Demon, Mother, She oh, Rides. Yeah, we, shot those, we shot those at the Ritz on the same day, Am I Demon and Twist of Cain. Really? Um, yeah, it was, it, we just, we told people that we were going to do a video shoot and you could come down if you want to be in the crowd. So we just went to the Ritz, which is, you know, was one of our favorite places. It's a great stage. And uh, just did those two, did them a couple of times. And then we we played like an extra five or six songs for the, for the people that were there. Nice. That was it. Yeah, I mean, we should have always stuck to performance type videos because that's the stuff that's easiest um, to get across and people don't have to think. And plus MTV would have been more like willing to play that kind of stuff because we had all the things with all the you know with the chicks and then you know the uh, the chicken and those pentagrams and stuff that yeah. I, thought was, I thought was hysterical but he, I remember him saying that he didn't like Motley Crue because they were using the pentagram they don't know what those about and stuff like that I'm right like, yeah but it's a gimmick you know sure but you know but the performance videos like they we couldn't even capture what way the band really was until that last live mother video because then it was kind of like the way it really was you know but um yeah all the old videos were all great like yeah my demon is hysterical you know and i've got all like back you know i was shooting video the whole time you know while we were filming this stuff if i wasn't in the shot i was like filming video so there's all this backstage thing it's the funny stuff and glenn wearing the big mask with the horns and he's like right. making jokes and stuff <laughs> yeah all we did was like goof around and do stupid stuff and just then we just put it out video so my favorite cross you know? oh yeah it's well you know well what i was going to say about about mother like i remember 
being with my friends and, you know, buying the first Danzig album on vinyl or cassette. And I remember, I think one of my buddies bought it on CD, like, so we had all of it. But it was funny because that was, it's like, oh man, this got banned and this got banned and this got banned. And when they would show it, because I remember they would show, show it on like Headbangers Ball at like two in the fucking morning. We'd stay up and, you know, I think I at least... You always tried to see see if, you know, something would they prop, finally play something you wanted to see. Right. You know? <laughs> but, yeah, my favorite song on the first album is Soul on Fire. Yeah, it's a great one. I don't know why. Like, I, I mean, I love the record. The whole record's great. But that song, for whatever reason, I don't know. I was always, you know... And it's funny because... Um, did you all consciously pick Twist a Cane, Am I Demon Mother, She Rides as the video, or was that just something that Rick suggested or Glenn? Or? No, you well, the record company, everybody's got their opinion, you know? Sure. So it's just like when you're working on a record, you're sitting there and you're going, okay, well, th- at that point in time, there was there was a thing. You put out, your first single is like, like a good example of what the record's like. It might be an up-tempo song. want to see how people react to it right right so you put you put out the first song and you hope everybody digs it because then you got a strong second song coming in which is what usually happens. if the first song didn't really go then you got a strong second song and if people react to that one then you hit them with your your other you know, like your third you know and if you could go to like three or four singles then that was going to be a good a successful record absolutely so yeah, the record company. Everybody had their own idea. So like Glenn would would say, you know, well if we need singles, then I think this one should be a single. It's usually it's the record you think is the best one out of the session, you know, or the best two or three, you know, or right. something. You just it just jumps. Sometimes the single just jumps out at you and says like, yeah, this is the one everybody's gonna connect with, you know. So it, but you know when, when you have a record company, then you have people who work there and there's a dozen people might be sitting in, a, in the office listening to the record going oh, okay what do you think you know who, who thinks this should be a single and you know stuff like that right you know it's always a pain in the ass when you leave it up to other people oh absolutely yeah you know, you know it's just like no this is what i want this is the way it is that's you know that's that's what that's what glenn still is so <laughs> so with the you had told me before um but i never got to ask you specifically and obviously with the exception of the hunter but every were some of these tracks where they re, so some of this stuff was supposed to have been sam Haynes stuff right um yeah a couple of songs we had um we had some we were finishing up around the same time as lucifuge we glenn and i went in the studio to finish up the last sam Hain record because we just we kind of left it up in the air and we had like eight demos and we had we took like Maybe, maybe more. We took like three or four songs, like Twisted Cane, Possession, and I'm not sure if there was anything else. Uh, maybe the, the Elvis cover oh, okay. we had, and then we we brought them to to the new the, the, the first dancing record. But there was still like these, you know, enough songs that we could put out an album and and just close that chapter, you know. Um, but yeah, Twisted Cane was a Dan, was a Sam Hain song first with the old band, and had a whole different vibe. And I think that stuff came out eventually in a box set or something. Yeah. But um, and Possession wasn't that much different, 
And I can't remember anything else that wound up on there. I think Am I Demon? Am I Demon was a, was a, was a dancing song because that's just like Children of the Grave. That's what it reminds me of. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there was a couple. I was, but the same thing happened with From the Misfits to Sam Hain. There was a couple of Misfits songs that were supposed to be Sam Hain songs. Like Glenn was like, you know, as a writer, he, he, he writes just like anybody does. And he was like, yeah, that's not really a song that's good for my band or this band or for whatever. So you put it on the shelf, you know, and you, so he was, he was ho- hoping to save a couple of songs that wound up on Earth AD for Sam Hain because he didn't think the Misfits were going to be able to do what he wanted with them. You know what I mean? Right. But then he, he was short, the Earth AD's only got eight songs on it anyway. So he was short a couple songs. So he gave them Blood Feast and Death Comes Ripping. And that's why we, Sam Hain, used to play those two songs. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and uh, so that's the same thing. And then, you know, the, the, like Twisted Cane, it was a pretty cool version. I liked the ver- uh, the the uh, the vibe, the original. It didn't have the riff, you know. Right. Um, if it was there, it was more of a chord progression. But, uh, you know, it wasn't really... I'm pretty sh- Yeah, it, that was one of Ruben's things, I'm pretty sure, like... Twisted Cane and Mother, you know, like he really like brought that riff, put either brought it up or heard it and said we should emphasize that. I can't remember; it's too far back. Um, and, and Mother was completely different, you know. He came in and just turned it into an ACDC song, <laughs> and, and that's why I hate it. You know, I like ACDC, but you know that wasn't us, and that was what everybody was doing at that particular time, and that whole '80s strip, you know, hair metal and. Sure. Strip stuff. That would. Everybody was just doing ACDC, you know. Like right. there's so many bands. That's all they did. You know, it's that kind of oh, yeah. whole vibe. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, it's the um, to go back to loose a huge. I think that's. I don't know. It was. It was weird. Like it wasn't necessarily for me. Like it, just as a fan, as a listener, but a departure from the first record. But it was. Uh, it was like a great sequel, you know. Um, but it, the the videos where you're talking about Killer Wolf, I think, is one of my favorite songs also on that record. I love it. I don't know why. I just yeah, love I, it. Yeah, I really I like all, everything on that record. So you look pretty bitching in the video too. You're all like, you guys are all like hanging out, and it's fucking yeah, cool. We were, bored, we were bored, and we were like, <laughs> what are we doing here? Just, you know, everybody. Everybody goes, oh, you guys like put that video out because you know because MTV wouldn't play your videos, and so you're just doing nothing in the video. I'm like, no, we weren't doing nothing because nobody told us to do anything. <laughs> so what, we were st- we were stuck in this middle of nowhere in this cabin um, with nothing to do, um, and you know, I might have brought some booze, but probably not enough, um, and. And so we're sitting around his cabin, and, and they would just say, "Go sit in that chair," and they would just fil- they would just film us. Go stand over there, and you know it was all Anton. He's a photographer, so he set up all his his shots as if it would be like a still, right. which I, I liked it, but it's not particularly exciting, you know. So um, yeah, yeah, it's a great. I like that song a lot, and I even play it once in a while when I do acoustic. Games. Awesome. But, yeah, that's um, great. yeah, but the video, as far as I'm concerned, was just stupid, you know. And it's just, you know, it was, yeah, it was our, it was our anti MTV statement that we weren't making, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it didn't. I don't, you know, they probably by the time 
MTV had been through like two or three videos with us, they weren't even, if you sent them a video, they wouldn't even look at it. You know, so well, that's another one. I think the first time I saw it was on Headbangers Ball at like one or two in the morning. Yeah, we didn't we didn't sell any records until they started playing us um, during the day. You know, all of a sudden I would like turn it on just to see if they, you know, they said, "Oh, you know, they've been playing the video," and I'm like, "Oh, they never play us." So I would turn it on when I, you know, lived in L.A. and I'm like, "Hey, I saw it a couple of times in like one day," and I was like, "Yeah, there you go." <laughs> was did Rick feel more enthusiastic with the second record as opposed to the first one, or was he? Well, yeah, he's enthusiastic of people uh, sit by it, you know, and it, it sells more copies and the band gets, you know, more uh, more popular and all that, yeah, or whatever. But by around that time, he starts working with, like, the Chili Peppers and really branching out and stuff. So he was he was too busy, and he was starting to be like we couldn't get him on the phone, or he wouldn't, you oh, know, sure. whatever. So th- that was the last record that he was really hands on. Like he would come down at the rehearsals once in a while, but we were all in the same neighborhood, so he could do that to say, "Hey, can you come down to rehearsals on Friday uh, this Friday?" And he would make a point of it. Before we'd be in Jersey, I'd have to go pick him up, bring him to the studio, and then bring him back home you know, to New York or whatever. Right. So it wasn't always as easy. Uh, but after that, like the third record, we, it was kind of like he wasn't really there. And we kind of, you know, we just produced it ourselves with the engineer. Um, and he would kind of phone in or he would show up once in a while. But um, he was just too busy. And he was just, you know, everybody wanted to work with him. So, you know, unless you just say, no, I'm just working on this record, you know, that's it but some people can go from project to project that's how that's that's what they do right. i mean i i think that would be kind of um i don't know it might work but to, to me i like to you work on one thing and you finish it and then you move on to the next one right you know? right but i i don't know i can't remember how he felt um i just think remember that's just the start of him getting really busy and being in la and you know, it was it was not like when it was in New York, where it was easy to get a hold of them and stuff, and things like that. So, right. you know, by the time we got to the third one, it was like uh, we were pretty much on our own. You know? So, with and it's thirty years. We we did the How the Gods Kill last year when you came on. Uh, Thrall Demon Sweat Live is now thirty years old. Oh uh, boy! <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Ninety three, right? So. Was this something that, because I, I know, like I'll, EPs are weird uh, for some people, but what was this supposed to have been more, and then it just ended up being this, or was it? I don't. I don't remember what the idea was behind this. It was just like if you're going to do a live record, you just do a live record, you right? Know? But I can't see that's like such a '70s sort of hippie thing, and Glenn totally hates all that. Sure. So. So it's like, I'll be like, oh, live record. All I'd have to do is say, yeah, like Fillmore East, because he hates the Allman Brothers, <laughs> you know, and he wouldn't do it. So, um, th- th- you know, I think it could have been, you know, let's, you know, the shows are so crazy and let's try to capture what the, what the, you know, the band's like live or whatever. I don't know. Or maybe we had, I think it was, it was, it was like, it must have been the it must have been a record company thing that they they wanted to re-release Mother and they wanted to do 
um, a new mix and they wanted to do the live video and all that. And I think it all just became something like, well, you know, how do you how do you put this out? How do you market it? instead of just being a single, which they could have just done a single. Sure. Um, but and and then they were like, well, let's put like, you know, five songs that are live and like five songs from the studio or whatever. And it, that would be the one would be the thrall side. One would be the live side, you know. So um, yeah, I can't remember the exact thinking on that because I thought it was like stepping on the toes of how the gods kill in the first place sure. by coming out too soon. And we were like really building momentum for that record. And it was really right in the middle. And all of a sudden it's like, I think they thought putting out this live version of mother, which was just, it was just a different mix when they put some crowd noise on it. And it, it just, it was just to capitalize on the video. Um, and, but I don't remember like why, you know, I think it was just like a record company thing. There's somebody's, right idea but if the video was was good and the song it was it was the same but it was just the time was right and that's why people started reacting to it because um the song was like you know however many years old already and it was never a hit and then it, all of a sudden it was uh, you know on mtv like five times a day or whatever but i think they just wanted to capitalize on that but I don't know. I, I, I didn't care. It was just like, it was just like, yeah, well, finally people are starting to figure it out. Right. You know? And well, that all it took was a be- just a live video to say, yeah, these guys look pretty cool. You know? The live tracks, to me, feel like, and, and, and you can, you know, I, I don't even remember what's on there. So, so it's so it's it, and and again, I'll just tell you this: it feels like someone took a live record and then took random cuts off of it because it's "Snakes of Christ," "Am I a Demon," the "Sistis." I, I can never say that. Sistinus. Thank you. Uh, great song. I just can't pronounce it with my stupid Southern accent. But uh, and then "Mother," and then and then uh, the "Mother '93" thing at the end. Um, uh, but yeah, what's yeah. well? The first, the first couple of songs from that night were, would have been like we would have started off with like maybe "Long Way Back from Hell" and then went into right into "Twist the Cane" um, or you no, know, right into "Snakes of Christ," like we did on the record. That's sure. the way we were doing it. And then "Mi Demon" would have been third or fourth on the set, you know. So it's probably just the first couple of songs, but I don't remember. Um, but the band was so so tight. You know, as long as Glenn was singing into the microphone, it was going to sound great. You know. Oh yeah. Well, it says it was recorded on on October thirty first of of ninety uh, two. Um, yeah. But I don't. So. Well, what's weird about it is, is I, I remember when it came out, <clears throat> and I, I agree with you. I, it felt like it was too close to how the gods kill to me, but. I, yeah, you don't want to do that if you're still, you know, what you want to do traditionally doesn't, I don't know how it is anymore, but in the old days, you want, just as your other record is peaking and starting to come down a little bit, that's when you get another single ready to go. As soon as that one drops off of the top spot or whatever, you put out another one. But see, that wasn't the case with Battle of God's Kill. That thing was still climbing and getting, you know, good reviews and Rolling Stone and stuff like that. Um, it was like in the top 20, um, I'm pretty sure, I think it was, yeah, I don't know, I don't remember, um, but 
yeah, I thought it was a little too soon. It didn't it didn't make a, a lot of sense to me. I thought this could have been like if you wanted to stay out on the road after the how the Godskill record had sort of sold as many copies as it's going to sell, then you give them something else. Yeah, yep, sure. yep. But this seemed like it was right in the middle of everything, and we still didn't stay on the road as long as we should have anyway. So it didn't make a whole lot of sense, but it did. It did work, and it you know that record went gold, and it helped the other one go gold, and you know so that was good. It was weird because I don't remember if because I saw you guys with Sabbath um, Dehumanizer, and I don't remember if that was the ninety two part of the tour cycle or it was ninety three. I don't remember. No, that was ninety two because I can remember. Uh... That was just like two weeks, and I think that was before we went to Scotland and all oh, that okay. stuff. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, that was, um, that, yeah, that was 92. The 93 part would have been, you know, more towards the thrall. That's where we were calling it the, you know, the 92-93 the world tour or whatever. Right. But So the Sabbath part would have been before that, you know. Well, was cool. Glenn didn't want to do that either. Glenn, didn't, Glenn and Chuck didn't want to do the Sabbath tour because I don't know exactly because they both like Sabbath. And me and John were like, it's two weeks. It's an opening slot. It's like the easiest gig on the planet. Sure. You know, it's like, for one thing, that's our audience. And we're and, and ones that don't know who we are, by the time they see us, they're going to start buying our records too because they already like Sabbath and we're just like a cooler, younger version, you know? And so that I thought it was a no-brainer, and like said, absolutely, when you're an opening act, it's the greatest. All you got to do is go on for like 30, 40 minutes. You play like eight songs, and you got all day and all night to do nothing. You know, it's great. You know, <laughs> there were a lot of people there to see you guys at the show I was at. I remember there were a shitload of people there to see Danzig. So, oh yeah, but see, that was the that was the whole timing thing. It was sort of like. You know, just the way uh, way Ozzy used to take bands out that were just about to, you know, break. Yeah. And he, he would have them, and he, everybody would say, oh, Ozzy's so awesome. He always gets these up-and-coming great bands. And then they become huge. Well, that was the same thing with Sabbath. It was kind of like, you know, they were, like, handing it off to us. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And it, we, were, we were supposed to be the next big thing, you know, according to everybody or whatever. So, you know, it, to me, I thought it was great. And, you know, we, we never opened for anybody. So, you know, Slayer, Metallica, and Black Sabbath, that's a pretty good... Oh, uh, fuck yeah. It's lined up right there, you know. Did the Slayer gigs, and and what tour cycle was that, and, and how did that happen? That was, like, in between, sort of, like... It was, like, 89, I think. Okay. Because we went out on tour in 88 for the first record. So 89 was sort of... It was called, like... Uh, what was it called? The Not of This World Tour, maybe, or uh-huh. or could have been a long way back from Hell Tour, like just right before, um, right before Lucifer came out. Right. I'm not exactly sure, but yeah, it was we only did like five shows with them, but it was like an in between period. We need like it was sort of like you know we're laying the groundwork for us to come by on our own like next time and being able to play some of these bigger places you know because it was all theaters and stuff absolutely and so we were just kind of laying the groundwork but yeah it was just one of those things uh since we were on the same label you know to um to just put these two you know 
satanic bands together and like <laughs> Two, two really like intense bands, you know, and and blow people's minds. So that's what we did. We played only like, you know, New York, L.A., Chicago, Detroit, you know, stuff like that. Nice. Only like the big cities, you know. And oh, it was awesome. And once again, you know, we could just cause trouble and and, and punch it up, and it wasn't our fault, you know. <laughs> With the well, the, you guys were label mates too, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yep, and Rick was working with them at that point. So, well, he's working with them before us. But um, yeah, it was all it was all you know. That's what you used to do is like all, all one big happy family, you know, like right. Motown. Everybody goes out. Everybody goes out and tries to promote each other and stuff. Right. And uh, it's like too bad we never got to go out with the Black Crows. Oh boy, that would have been. <laughs> um, you know, that, that would have been hysterical. We would have killed killed them. <laughs> They hated us, you know. Like, I'm glad, I'm glad. Really, we never even met you guys. How you hate us already? Okay. Oh my god. Yeah, I. Well, you know, it's like um, I don't know what it was. I think there's a lot of bands putting out records in the in the early '90s. So you know, we'll stick with like. Well, really, we'll stick with like Danzig three, then the 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 Thrall, Demon Sweat, Love, the EP, and then Danzig four. But you guys were still like with momentum during all the grunge shit. Like the grunge stuff hit, and it hit fucking hard, and it appealed to a lot of folks. I'm not knocking; it's not my thing, but if it works for people, wonderful. But what I loved was you all just kept going. It, it just didn't even seem to even phase you guys where there were bands that were out there that I wasn't necessarily a fan of that just they were working at Domino's they were on a world tour with Kiss a few years before now they're at Domino's oh, yeah, that grunge killed the hair metal bands yeah. that, was, that was the greatest thing ever because, <laughs> um, I couldn't stand all that stuff I sure. still can't and, and you know it's it, the funny thing is all the bands and stuff that I liked that they're still playing and they're all bald and they're old and stuff it never had anything to do with how good looking or how, how good their hair was right. and all those hair bands they can't do that because they're, they don't have hair anymore you know but yeah that stuff all happened but we were friends with all those guys you know like Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and stuff oh um, sure sure you know um, we you know we like that kind of stuff and I, I never knew the Nirvana guys but that was happening at the same time and I liked all that shit. I really liked Soundgarden. Allison James were great. Um, I liked Nirvana back then, too. Um, just never got to know them. And then the Chili Peppers were doing really good. Yep. And it was just, see, to, to, to me, and, uh, I'm, you know, me, Chuck, and, and, uh, and Glenn were punk rock guys. So to me, these guys just seemed like they were just punk rock bands, just with longer hair, maybe just doing metal because it was cool. Because right. they never listened to it because they like punk stuff or whatever. So it, the, to me, that whole movement to me just seemed like punk rock. You know, like right. punk rock with flannel or whatever. The, the attitude was totally insane. Oh know? yeah. So it was much better than the attitude of this, the, the other bands that were just doing it for kicks. You know, right, right. Kicks and chicks and booze. You know, right. Well, it's it was, and and this is something I've, I've never asked you. Um, was there ever talk? And and again, I know we've talked about this before, but so Danzig Four's out. You guys are touring everything. Then Chuck's out of the band. 
Was there ever talk of you and John and Glenn doing a Danzig 5, or was that never going to happen? Was it at that point where the wheels just completely coming off? Uh, no, we, well, when Chuck left the band, it was like, we all, whenever you do a new record, you know, it's kind of like, it's either, you either have to sign something or it's just agreed upon that you'll, you'll uh, fulfill your obligations. You play on the record, you show up, you do the videos, you do the tour, and when the tour's over, if you want to quit, you can quit. Sure. But you can't, you can't, you know, it was just like, sort it's just an industry thing that you should do what you say you're going to do and not leave people in a lurch. And you know stuff like that. It's just so. So that's the only the only way. John John was already wanted to leave, but he was he was saying, "No, I'm going to finish finish the tour and finish the album cycle." Like I said, I would and stuff like that. And I was just like, "Yeah, okay. Well, if if you're going to do that, then I'm just going to quit when you quit." And you know, Chuck was already gone. So right. But it was, it was just there was no. Yeah, we we weren't even thinking about doing another record. You know, and when I look at it now, it's just like, yeah, well, Glenn needed to go do something different because he'd gotten stuck in the the whole Danzig thing, you right. know. So now he could just go off and do whatever he wanted because he didn't have to be, you know, in that band. He could just be Glenn Danzig, you know. Right. And then he could do anything he wanted. I don't know why he just didn't go solo and say it's, you know, Glenn Danzig uh, because that. That, that was his the perfect opportunity you know the whole new bands you know everybody's everybody's gone you know whatever you want you don't have any like people can't say well that doesn't sound like this well it's not it's because it's a new thing right you know so it made total sense to me um and but yeah we never now we were never going to do another record you know see it killed me because i remember going to see him and I still, you know, think the world of him as, as you know, a vocalist and everything else. But I just, it it wasn't until really, I think a few years ago, whatever, the, one of the last records he did where it actually sounded like Danzig again to me, where I was like, he just lost me as a fan. Where When you guys left, the vibe changed. And I, I, I see what you're saying creatively where that's good for him. But as a, as a fan, I was like, what the fuck is it? Like, I just was like, it was just... That record after Danzig Four sounded like industrial stuff or something. I didn't like it. It was just like I don't know. Yeah, but see, there was also not like the band wasn't big enough to like let everybody know that things were going to change. It's like whole new band, like right. a whole new approach, whatever. If that had happened, then somebody you know people would have gone on in with like open ears, you know. Right. And so it just comes out, and people have no idea. And it just is like, what the hell is this? You know, so it really, it could have probably been handled better. Um, but um, yeah, that's, that's, you know, it should have, it should have, he just should have, you know, been Glenn Danzig. Then he wouldn't have to worry. He could do whatever he wanted. Right. And he, you know, wouldn't have to, people come constantly comparing, you know, the records he puts out to the old band or whatever, you know. Um, he wouldn't, wouldn't have to worry about that. But he, I mean, he doesn't care about that anyway. But, um, you know what I mean, though. Like, and and I'm happy. I think it's cool. Johnny plays with him from Typo, and I think it's cool. Tommy Victor plays with him and all that. I, I, like I said, I'm not knocking it. I just it was just so different. It was just like, you know, you get. Yeah, well, I mean, things things had to change. I mean, if you look at, you know, the Misfits were like together for like five years, then Sam Hain was together for like four years, then we turned into Danzig, and that was like seven years. So. It's kind of like he needed to 
to go off and do something different. Sure, sure. You know, I mean, he could have put out just a solo record besides, like, you know, uh, just doing, you know, besides doing the band, and it would have been fine. Like, none of us would have cared, you know. Uh, it just would have been, if you feel like you, you, you can't get everything out within the band, that's why people do solo records. Yeah. Um, then he could have done that. But the way it turned out, you know, um, it was it was just the time time was right for things to change, you know. Absolutely. So, you know, seven was, eight years. I can't remember how long it was. Was there ever talk of the four of you reuniting? I don't know. Not that I know of. Right. No, it's it was just it was one of those things that like it was just there was a period of time and that was it. Is as far as I'm concerned, and he was always like never wanted to go back and do this and it wasn't very sentimental when it came to the bands uh, unless it was just telling stories and stuff about things that happened or whatever but right. so i was kind of i i wasn't exactly surprised when you know because he's talking he first he does his sam hayden reunions for like 10 years and then he does the danzig and doyle thing for like 10 years i'm like well the misfit thing's got to be coming soon you know and then that happened and i was just like well i guess he's you know changed his mind about going back and being sentimental because I figured well he's getting older he wants to maybe retire so he wants to tie up all his loose ends and it made total sense to me and then all everybody went out and saw it so you know and he's been doing that for like seven years now yep. so it's a time for something either either he's going to just go full on into movies and just do that maybe just do soundtrack stuff Yeah. but you know it just seems it's sort of like a pattern every five to seven years or so just make a change you know right. so yeah it all it all makes sense to me you know? absolutely so the first sam hayne album which i've always pronounced incorrectly um thank you so for that record when you guys are going into were y'all writing this stuff beforehand or and then you know the other thing I was going to ask you, I thought was interesting. It's labeled here Death Rock. Is that something you guys came up with, or did someone just label you all that? Or, I, yeah, you know, usually it's um, it's usually like the press or whatever that comes up with these terms. But back then, all we had was the underground fanzines and stuff. So it would have been like, yeah, they used to call it Ghoul Rock. Uh, That's Death awesome. Rock. <laughs> um, what was the other? It was a few other things. Yeah, Death Rock and Ghoul Rock, we used to call it. But I don't know where it came from. I mean, it's probably the same thing as like where Punk Rock came from. It's just somebody writing an article. Right. You couldn't figure out what to call it. But, um, you know, uh, yeah, then, you know, goth. That was a whole another movement. But that was, we were kind of gothy, you yeah. know, because we listened to that stuff too. But most of the, all the songs and stuff were just the same as with the Misfits. Glenn's just like, I, I, I got a new song. And we just pick up the guitar and say, okay, here's the chords. And then we just fucking play it, you know, until it got to be the way he heard it in his head. And then it's like, okay, then we record it. You know, that was it. Um, oh, not, we weren't writing anything. I mean, I couldn't write. I was writing songs for my band, but they were just hardcore songs, so it wasn't really... Right, right. You know, as far as I was concerned, Sam Hain and the Misfits and stuff were like, you know, a whole different ball game. You know, hardcore stuff was great, but it was just about getting out there and doing it and saying what you want to say and as fast as you can and moving on, you know? So I wasn't writing anything for Glenn. I was like, yeah, like I'm going to say, hey, Glenn, let's play my song. 
know? <laughs> and Steve was the same way. It's like, it was just like, no, we just want to play with this guy and, you know, be in his band. So let's, let's just, let's just, you know, let's not rock the boat. I mean, the, the, all those songs on that first record are great, you know? So I was just happy to be, you know, in a real band that was going to go on the road and make real records and stuff, you know? Did you all play all of the stuff off the first album live? Was it always played live? Yeah, well, we didn't have that many songs, you know? So we played, like, we had, like, whatever was the first album, we played, like, the whole thing. And then we played, like, three or four Misfits songs. And we'd have, like, 12, 13 songs, and that was enough. Oh, wow. Then, you know? So that's what we did, you know? Uh, but also, like, songs like Die, Die, My Darling, he, he, he also, that was one of the last Misfits songs and that could have been what he was thinking was going to be like a like a hit single uh-huh. and it didn't really work so we used to play it because i don't know if he really liked the version that, that came out or you know whatever i always got the impression that he wasn't happy with it that's why we played it you know right like that's the reason he did the hookah barrel and thing because it maybe he didn't like the misfits version or i don't know right some of your favorite songs on here? Uh, oh, what? Yeah. Oh, I can't even remember. Uh, uh, you cannot be named. I always liked. Yeah, that's um, it. <laughs> all murders, all murder, all guts, all fun. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, the, the, yeah, the whole record is great. I love all those songs, but it just sounds terrible. I mean, th- none of the Sam Hain records are as good as they should have been, but people seem to like it for for all those. Absolutely, like it's so raw. Yeah, it's just, but it's to, to me, it's muddy, and the drum sounds god awful. <laughs> um, it, it's just, I like it for what it is, but sonically, it could be so much better. I mean, we used to talk about that. Being a guy from Caroline, we were working on the box set and stuff. We'd go like, "Man, if I could just get my hands on those Sam Hain tapes, you know, right? <laughs> go in and remix all that stuff." Because I mean, like the the. Um, November November Come Fire was like the best sounding one and that's the way the band sounded that's why uh, something about third records in the bands you know but that was a really good example and it was like I was really happy with that one because it sounded so much better like if all the records sounded as good as that one I would have been happy about it but so that record um did you all, was it just a different recording experience? Is that why it sounds better? Did you all bring a producer in or did you just have... No, it was, it's just, it just getting, the band was getting better. Uh, this, you know, it was just one of those things. Um, uh, maybe different amp, you know, or something. It's just, usually it was little things. Um, or just that we knew the material better. You know, it depends. Like, it's it, it just... Maybe we got a better drum sound. I don't know. We didn't really know anything about making records, being in the studio, even though Glenn had made like a bunch of records before then. I mean, we still didn't know anything. And when we, you know, we tried to mix stuff, it would always come out like, you know, it wouldn't come out right. You know, we just didn't know anything. And, um, you know, like the Misfits used to bring, he used to bring in this one guy to get when he wanted to record vocals because he said, this guy, he's the only guy to get my vocals out the way I like it. Right. So, um, I think the record just came out better because it was recorded better. Um, You know, depends on maybe Pete's guitar sound was better, things like that. 
Um, there wasn't as much, you know, uh, I don't know. It's just it's just a better sounding record. I mean, the second the the Unholy Passion record sounds different than Initium, and that, and also the fact that we were recording in these three or four hour blocks, like we, you know, so you'd get time to work on one or two songs maybe, and then you'd have the next you'd have to come back like sometimes a month later, and nothing would ever be the same, you know. So we probably might have recorded November like more close close together. See if you do like a session, you you would like lock out the, the room and you'd have your gear would always be set up when you turned it back on, it would sound the same as it did yesterday. Right. And the drum sounds the same and everything's the same. Um, that's why bands do that. And, but you know, back then you you could only do as much as you could afford, you know? Right. So if there was no money coming in you were like, okay, I got the money, you know, got to pay some records, you know, uh, some checks came in, so we're going to go record, you know, on Tuesday from like, you know, three to seven or whatever. And then it would be like the next week or week after that or whatever. So I think maybe it was just a consistency thing. And maybe I can't remember that we got a lot more done in like one day. And that's why it sounds better. I don't know. Now the tracks on November Coming Fire. Did you, were all these ever were all the all eleven played live? Yeah, well, we, that's the way we did everything. You know, um, we it was just the three of us. Um, it was in a really small room, and we rehearsed a lot. You know, so by that time um, we knew all the songs, and it wasn't a problem. Um, but uh, there was a couple of tracks that uh, drum wise that Glenn wasn't happy with, so. He like kicks kicks London off the drum stool and says, "I'll let me do it. I'll just do it." And that was like those were you could tell which ones Glenn's playing drums on. It's like it's it's total mania. <laughs> you know, I remember doing it and just thinking like it's just crazy. And you had to follow him because his timing was all over the place. <laughs> and you you had to go. You had to speed up with him and go. And you, it was really it was nuts. But um, yeah, it was. It, we knew the songs and stuff and it was most we were going for a vibe and it was it was just total the, the whole Sam Hain thing was just really crazy like we were all still like nuts you know and just it was very emotional and just we just wanted to freak people out and just you know I don't know what Pete was thinking but that's what me and Glenn were thinking you know he just wanted to go blow people's minds so the Initium cover, did you do, did you have did y'all have someone specific? No, in? I took that picture. You did. Me, Glenn, me, Glenn share credit, even though I don't really agree. But it was in his house. We used my camera uh, on a tripod with a timer, and it was just it was almost like a you know it was only a couple of feet away. So I just run behind the camera, look at him and Steve, and say, "Okay, this looks fine." And then I hit the timer and run into the side, and then we take a picture. Then we put the timer back and say, okay, okay, we're going to take another one. And hit the thing, go back, you know, like I didn't even have a cable release, I don't think, because you could do that easier. So I remember Glenn looking behind, you know, going behind the camera and looking at the setup, me and Steve would be standing there and saying, okay, that looks cool and whatever. So that's why, you know, we share credit. But I, I, I took those pictures. But it was his idea and it was at his house, you know, and, uh, and that was it. I got the stuff developed. I worked on getting the prints exactly the way he wanted them with the, a guy in a lab. And then, you know, and that's why the, pic, the, the pictures is like so orange because we only had like regular light bulbs we were using. It's really cool. 
it's yeah, it's a, it's a cool shot. But um, yeah, that was something Glenn wanted to do with the Misfits, but uh, he said they weren't into it. Um, maybe it was all the devil lock thing, or the blood would make them would make them look as cool. I can't remember what Glenn said, but I mean, I, I thought it was a great idea. It's like hell yeah, I want to do that. Yeah, it's 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 iconic too. The that cover. Um, yeah, it was like we 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 were like if we were in a record store and we saw that record cover, we'd be buying that. Yeah, you know that was the whole that was the whole thing. Yeah, people are going to be thumbing through the S section, see this, and go, "Oh, I got to check this out." Absolutely. <laughs> let's let's go through this record together if you're cool with that. Um, so the title track. So you got Nishim slash Sam Hain. Um, yeah, the first the spoken word thing Glenn did over at Steve's house. Steve had a four track, uh-huh. like a four track cassette a recorder. And so him and Glenn just sort of, you know, came up with the, the back backgrounds and stuff. And Glenn just did like the spoken word thing. And they just made sounds and noises and beat on instruments and stuff to make all this stuff. <laughs> and I, I wasn't even there. I didn't even, you know, I didn't even know what was happening. Um, and then all the rest of the stuff was all shit that we rehearsed down in my basement, you know. But I, I, I remember the things I remember on recording. I don't remember each individual song, uh-huh. but I re- the things I remember about it is that we recorded everything, but we never, we never heard Glenn singing except in rehearsal, and that you really couldn't hear much, sure. or if even if he even had all the lyrics done. Um, but we knew how the songs went, and they all sounded good. And then when he, we, me and Steve were sitting against the washing machine. In the, in the studio because that's just this tiny guy's basement and there was a washer dryer right next <laughs> to the studio so i'm sitting there and he starts to do the vocals for um for sam Hain, the song and we're listening and we're like we're looking at each other like i can't believe this guy's in our band you know and right. i was like we looked at each other and said i can't believe we're in this band you know like how cool does that sound because you know we we love the misfit stuff and you know Glenn's vocals and all that was you know spooky and double tracked and lots of reverb and just it was so awesome. And then here here he is you know singing on these songs no one's ever heard before and we're like this is awesome. You know yeah so that that was the whole deal. It was just like I, if you're a musician you want to play with the best people you can play with and you want to keep getting better. And that was it. This is the best guy in you know in town. I want to be in this band. Right. You know, and it's just, that's just the way it is. If you're a musician, it's, it's not just for kicks. It's like you want to keep getting better. You want to keep getting playing bigger places, selling more records. You you know, this is your life. And it was like, yep, this is it. Because my parents were like, ah, you should probably think of a plan B. I was like, once I once they saw that this was like a real thing, and I was going on tour putting out rec, you know, real records and stuff. They were like, okay, you know, I was like, no, nah, this, this is, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Right. What about the second song, Black Dream? What do you remember about recording that one? Uh, I don't really remember specifically. I just remember that I really liked the, um, the, the it's the rhythm about it. You know, it's just, it, it was different. It was like, you know, it wasn't like a Misfit song, but it was kind of like the next level, like song that he might have given to those guys if they, if if they weren't st- sort of stuck in their, you know, their sound or whatever. Yeah. But I really liked the, I just liked the way it, 
the way it feels. It was always a really cool song to play, and um, everybody really liked it. I just don't remember, you know, recording. Oh, sure. You know, for for real. I mean, the whole. Well, I just remember like bits and pieces um, f- from that stuff, uh, but it was all it was all done like we probably would have done in three hours. I think that's what we were doing: three or four hour blocks. We probably could have gotten at least half the record done in one day and then next half and the next day and then have maybe two days to mix it, you know, or two sessions to mix it. Right. I mean, you know, but like when the Misfits did a record, they would do, it would be like 10 hours or 12 hours, they would do the whole album and they would mix it in the same day. Oh, wow. Yeah, so like if you hear like three hits, uh, 12 hits from hell, that's one session all done in one day. You know, I'm, I'm almost positive it was all done in like one period. Damn. Yeah, and well, they see they rehearsed so much that they they could just go in and just blow through this, the, the the songs like it was a rehearsal, and they would get uh, one take, two takes, and that's all they needed. You know, so you know the songs were all two and a half minutes long. You know, so there you go. You just get some good basic sounds and the mix was wouldn't be hard to do you know so right. they could have a whole album in like one day that's wild yeah. um track three we kind of talked about that all all murder all guts all fun um what about what about track four macabre yeah i remember we used to call we used to call it macabre or macabre uh-huh. Or whatever. Um, yeah, I just remember that one being really cool because it had the it had the, the backup vocals and it just reminded me of like The Exorcist or something. Oh yeah. Um, it's just um, it's just it was just a really cool and it, I I remember like this being nothing like a Misfit song. You know, it was it, it was it was so different and I I, I was like this is gonna blow people's minds but they're not gonna get it. And um, I remember when we did that, when we used to play that stuff, and, you know, people were, were used to, like, Earth AD and even Misfit shows, you know, the band was pretty fast. And we, we played, and everything was slow, you know. And we I remember Glenn going, oh, you want to hear, you know, want to hear a fast one? They don't go, yeah. And he goes, here's another slow one. <laughs> That's correct. <crap. laughs> it, was, it was more about, like, emotion and power and, like, you know, where Glenn's head was at at the time, you know, like just very into, you know, these heavy subjects and these things, you know, you know, it's just like turning people on to this, you know, sort of lifting the curtain and saying, here, look at, look at all this stuff that I know about. You have no idea. This is the world you live in and all this. It was very heavy, you know, Right. uh, I, I I just thought people would, would not get it at all, which they, taking them a long time but track five he who cannot be named you mentioned that one before was that was that that one pretty fun to did you like playing that one live oh yeah that one was always cool it had it just i liked the, the way you know it bounced you know like and then it would kind of glide into the the verse it was just the same chords but you just be playing them it just always had this nice kind of groove you know, absolutely. Classic, you know. And we even did a, a dancing song that was uh, reminded me a lot of that. Um, that didn't come out till 
and way after the band broke up, like on some lost tracks or whatever, it was called, um, I can't remember what it was called, but it reminded me a lot of that. It had the same sort of chord progression. Um, but yeah, I love that song. And it was always, uh, I, always a big crowd pleaser. Oh yeah, I bet. Let's see, that in the second half of the album, let's see, uh, track six, Horror, horror Blit. Horribiz. Horribiz, yeah. yeah. It was just Glenn, Glenn wanted to do, either we liked the song so much, he wanted to do a different version, you know, pull like an Eric Clapton and <laughs> record a different version. Or he he always wanted it to sound like this. Or just something, I remember it was the first song that we worked on and the first song that I learned because it's only got like three chords in it. Right. You know, maybe four, I can't remember. But it was just a different rhythm. And to us, it was more like, um, you know, uh, like the Misfits version was punk rock, and this was going to be more like a metal version. But when you listen to it, it's nothing like metal. Um, but at the time, we didn't. None of our perceptions were like, oh, it's like, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Do it like that. And I think he just liked the song enough and just wanted to um, do a, another version of it. You know, just like when we did All Hell Breaks Loose. Did that completely, like, over-the-top, ridiculous version. <laughs> it was cool. Yeah, but that was more theatrical, you know? That was all leading up to, like, the theatrics that he eventually bring to Danzig, you know? Like, everything being bigger for bigger crowds and more, you know, like, more epic you know, right. that kind of shit. Absolutely. What about the shift? Well, that was supposed to be three songs that were supposed to be part of this thing. It was the shift, the howl, and the urge, or the shift, the urge, and the howl. I can't okay. remember. That's, that's a, you know, it's the urge, the shift, and then the howl. That's what it was. And why we never did the first one, we did the shift and the howl, and it was supposed to be one other song. It was like this trilogy, whatever. And I was like, sure, okay. I don't know what you're talking about, but fine. Um, you know, the shift is cool. I like it because it's just slow and intense. And the howl was cool because it had that cool drum beat through the whole thing. Um, but yeah, um, just another one of those songs that I was like, no one's going to get this. You know, it's like, it's, you know, and, and, and we weren't particularly heavy. It was just the attitude that was coming off from the band and the, the, the material. When we did it live, right? It, uh, was it you know? Because we thought about it, sat around and said like you know we can say to Pete, how can we sound heavier? We gotta want to be intense, and all we would have had to do is do it like Slayer and a lot of metal bands do, and just tune down, right? And, but he never brought that up because he's a punk rock guy, and he plays you know what Johnny Thunders would play or whatever. So and Glenn didn't know nothing about any of that. So we just it was just all intensity coming from us right you know but uh yeah i don't remember much about that but i do remember doing the how wonder why the other That's, song was never on that i yeah i don't know i never i never you know i might have asked him about it but there was some reason uh, that he just didn't you know there had to be a reason why he just didn't um we didn't record it maybe he felt it wasn't necessary or something was going to happen later on down the road or song wasn't ready right. you know what i mean there's all kinds of reasons oh sure but I, we, we never talked about it because i didn't care you know? right <laughs> i was just like yeah you know it's your thing man you know 
uh, I'm playing the bass, you know. I mean, I dig all that stuff, but if you, you know, I'm not going to say, dude, you got to write that third song so we can right. have Yeah, of course. Yeah, who, who the hell cares? <laughs> you know, right. I was just like, yeah, the songs we got are great. Let's just focus on that, you know. And then, like, Archangel, I I think he used a, a, a version he had already had on tape, and I don't even think I'm on that one. Really? You know? Well, I don't know. I have to go back to the world. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, we had a test pressing done, now that I think about it, and the old version was on the original test pressing. Oh, okay. Right. So what Glenn did before he gave, he, he got like four test pressings, he gave me one, he probably gave Steve one, and he kept two for himself, or he gave Pete one, I don't remember. Now, Pete wasn't, wasn't no, he wouldn't give Pete one. So he, he scratched it out so you couldn't play it. Oh. And it was like the original, the original version with Al from Reagan Youth playing bass, I think. And so I, we must have re-recorded it, but I just don't remember because there was a new version on the on the record. It wasn't that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a song he wrote for for Dave Bainey, and he was supposed to sing it with the Misfits backing him up, or oh, it was just going to okay. be a single he was going to put out. Glenn was going to put out on Plan Nine, maybe. Uh, it's hard to remember, but it just never came came through and it was just a song that you know he was he liked and he you know he we were going to do a version of it but it was never one of my favorite songs you know it's, it's not as good as the other stuff sure what about unholy passion yeah that was glenn's first you know song talking about something that wasn't you know horror movies and comic books it was like talking about sex and stuff and it was like a big move for him and you know, emotionally, you know, like he's not exactly a guy who puts his emotions on out there for people to to uh, to know about. So it was it was a big thing for him. And you know, the the beats we were getting more into, you know, tribally kind of beats, and it was just he's all about intensity. So the, the whole unholy passion record was just something he needed to get out of his system mm-hmm. that I, re- that I remember it was just, that's why it was only like those five songs. I think it was just, it was sort of a bridge to the next record and it just needed to get out. Sometimes you just have to record stuff just so you can move on to the next thing. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, like, you know, guys like Prince, I mean, Jesus, he recorded like all day long <laughs> and a lot of this stuff was just so he could move on. Right. And otherwise, you know, it'll never, your brain will just go nuts. So I always thought that the unholy, all the whole unholy passion record was just this period of time that Glenn had to musically work stuff out in his brain, you know. But I liked all that stuff because it was all crazy and, um, like, a lot of drums. And just none of it made any sense, you know. And unholy passion was almost like a single. Like, it didn't even fit on the record as far as I was concerned compared to, like, Moribund and, like, all those other songs that were just out of control, you know? Yeah, what about All Hell? What about that one? Yeah, that was just, he wanted to do a bigger arrangement, more dramatic, you know? Right. Just something, you know, it was a cool song, you know? I always loved the Misfits version, but he just wanted to do, like, something, you know, bigger. Right. And uh, it was just, I was like, yeah, why not? You know, I mean, I, I loved all the Misfits songs. It's like, hey, they're your songs. You want to do whatever you want with them, go ahead. Right, exactly. Moribund's cool, too. Yeah, I like that. And there's a, I can't think of the other track that's on it. The oh, Hungry End? I Have Mystery was totally out of control. Yep. You know, um, the whole record is nuts. The Hungry End? What about that one? Yeah, 
yeah, that one was great too. And I always was cool on um, when we played live. All those songs live were just really intense, and people were just had no idea what was going on. <laughs> but yeah, that all that whole that whole session was really good. The band was, I thought, was really tight at that time, and um, everything. It was just it was just a really weird record, you know, and uh, it was just it was just like I said, I, I definitely feel it was just a time to get you had to get that out so we could get to November, you know. So with this record, were you did you did y'all do a lot of shows for it? For what? For the first one? Yeah, or? for an issue, yeah. Oh, we the we were the record was supposed to be out because Glenn was already. Had had a schedule like he was like, okay, we'll do this show, and just to tell everybody we're you know we're, we're our band, and then we're gonna go in the studio, then we're gonna finish the record. The record's gonna come out at this time. We're gonna go on tour at this time. So what happened was, um, th- there was he, he was switching and pressing plants or doing something. I couldn't remember exactly, but the record didn't come out, and the shows were already booked. Oh shit! And so we had to go, and the record didn't come out for like another month. So, first of all, nobody knows, half the people don't even know the Misfits broke up, because uh, it wasn't that long of a period, it was like six months, oh, wow. eight months maybe, um, and so nobody knows who we are, um, there's no record for them to already be listening to, so they want to come hear the songs, so we went out and played to like nobody, you know, for at least a month, and then the record came out, and then we went out again, then it was better. Um, and then An Only Passion came out like, a, you know, soon after. It was just like the next year. And, you know, but yeah, we did. We, we never played that much. I mean, you had a, you know, we had a, whoever worked had to get off, a, you know, quit their job or get off, you know, get time off. We had to have some kind of vehicle that wouldn't break down. You know, it was a big pain in the ass back then. Oh, yeah. You know? So, um, it wasn't like yeah, we just book a tour and go on and get on the bus and go. You know, it was it was we had to come up with enough money to 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 get there for one thing and to, to stay on the road because you would be doing these gigs and almost you know no one would show up and the promoter wouldn't have any money so you couldn't get paid or right. you know the truck would break down and whatever money you had saved all of a sudden was gone and now we can't get to the next gig stuff like that it was a nightmare you know. But yeah, the first tour nobody nobody knew who we were, and that's when they all started putting putting on like formerly Glenn Danzig from the Misfits, you know, or right. formerly of the Misfits, members of the Misfits, all that stuff, just so people would go, oh, I know who the Misfits are. Let's go check this out. But we had we lost like half the fan base, just you know, because we didn't, we weren't the Misfits, and we weren't we weren't uh, playing those songs, and we weren't playing super fast, and uh, you know, so we had a rebuild it all up of know? course yeah so, you know we have over with everything the whole band you know the, all the records by the time we got to november yeah it was different but we were already moving up past that it was late you know all the seeds were being sown for like what was going to be dancing you know but so with unholy passion at that point were you all just like mid-tour cycle and just decided, hey, we're going to do this now or the next year, or how did that in '85? Oh well, no, it's it's all it was always like you know, do the record, go um, go do the tour. Um, if you get any, you know, Glenn would you know get offers. People would call him, you know, because he, he'd be 
call them directly and say, hey, I want to book the band in like Bloomington or whatever. Right. So then he would think of like, oh, you know, if he's writing more songs, it was it was all like whatever he felt like. So it's not not like, okay, we're going to go on tour for six months and we're not going to stop until we play everywhere we want to play and then, you know, make this much money or sell this many records and then we'll go take a break and then we'll work on another record. It was just kind of like, okay, well, let's just, you know, I want to do a new record. I'm tired of doing that. Or, you know, we've already played those songs enough. Let's do something else. You know, it's pretty loose. Right. So it was, it was, you know, he had a, he had a master plan, but it wasn't, it wasn't like, like you would think. It's just like, okay, well, you know, I want to go in the studio. I want to do these new songs. I'm tired of the old song. Um, You know, or I've got some offers, and we need more songs for the set, whatever it was, you know. Right. So, then it, but I don't remember every, you know, like, I'm sure he had, like, a plan, but he would just tell me, you know, like, oh, you know, I want to I want to do this, I want to do that, and I'd be like, okay, cool, you know, is that right. a good idea, or whatever. Nice. You know, so. And then, end of November coming fire, um... Towards the Steve quits the band after the Unholy Passion tour. Oh, okay, okay. And then we got to get a new drummer, and Glenn's already like, "Well, I've got this guy. He's been calling me for like six months, telling me he wants to book the band, you know, in Baltimore." And he says, "If you ever need a drummer, you know, I know all the songs." It's just something. Yeah, so Glenn didn't even care. He was just like, "Yeah, I've already got a guy. Says he knows all the songs. So just tell him to come up here and uh, try him out, see if he's any good." And then. Yeah, you know, so we just, we just, you know, he was just in the band because we knew there was nobody else that we knew that was playing drums, and this guy already he was a fan and he already knew the songs. Nice. So then we just started rehearsing uh, for the record, and uh, then put the record out, and then went on a went out on tour. I don't remember doing shows in between, like um, like when Steve quits, and then you know we put through the new record because that would have been the perfect time to break somebody in you know with new songs right and you know what i mean it'd be easier than sure you know just trying to learn because like he glenn was complaining he's like that's not the way the song goes he goes yeah but it's like that on the record he's like no it's not you know it's like he would have to like correct his drumming and things like that you know right now why did steve end up leaving Oh, we used to pick on him too much. So, you know. <laughs> Glenn, Glenn and I were not very nice people back then, you know. And uh, we just picked on him too much. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. He, he wasn't out. I'm sure I, I never asked him about it, but I, I, I imagine that's the way it was because I wasn't a nice person. And Glenn, he was, Glenn was a hard guy to get along with. Um, so yeah, we picked on him a lot, and uh, he's just—I don't know. It, just, it was sort of like. When I see pictures of them all hugging now and stuff, I'm like, dude, you never liked him, you know? <laughs> so, so it's just, I don't understand it. But yeah, he just wasn't having any fun, I don't think. And just wanted to do his own, you know, do his own band again or whatever he was, did after that. But um, Was yeah. Steve from Lodi? Or Lodi, yeah. excuse yeah, me? Yeah, we, we, we went to the same high school, you know. I didn't really know him that well in high school. Um, not till like, maybe senior year. Um, we didn't have like classes together or nothing, but uh, yeah, he he, he lived uh, you know down a block from the guys from Rosemary's Babies and around a corner from 
you know, Glenn's house and stuff like that. We were all from the same neighborhood. Now, when you all were doing back back to like the the first album, what what were Jerry and Doyle? Did were you still talking to them during that process? Like when you were in Sam Hain, or were you like, hey, I'm no, playing. We, those guys they lived up in Vernon. It was like an hour away. Uh-huh. You know, like they they weren't living at the house in Lodi anymore. Um, they were living up there, which is where their dance. I think their dance machine shop was up there. Um, so that's what they did when the band broke up. Those guys moved and they went there, and we—I didn't talk to those guys for like ten years. Oh wow! You know, um, it—it just was one of those things, and you know, there was whatever bad blood between Glenn and Jerry or whatever. It was just one of those things. It's just like, yeah, we're this is a new band, and those guys do whatever they want to do, and I'm doing this, you know. So that. It was mostly, you know, like people you went to school with and stuff. After you graduate, you so you might never see them again, right? You know, so it was kind. It was kind of like that, you know. It's like you go your separate ways. Some people go to college or whatever. Those guys went up to Vernon and um, went into the machine shop full time, and then they started making guitars and things, and you know, it just and we just kept going, doing doing our thing, and uh, you know, so no, I didn't really talk to those guys at all. It's funny, I don't know if I ever told you this, I was doing set changes at this club, and uh, this was like 10 years ago, and um, the Misfits played there, and uh, I had never met Jerry, and he was just the nicest guy in the world, like I had never met him, and he, because I had been dealing with all these different difficult type bands, even local bands being shitty to me at this, at this club. It's like, whatever, you know, but he was just really nice and I had never got to meet him. And this is what he's always been really good with the fans. He's, he's, um, you know, he's always been like that. Jerry's just, Jerry's just used car salesman. He's, (laughs) He's, yeah, he was super cool. Yeah. He should be running for office. He's one of those guys. He will work the whole room until everybody's happy. You know, he's was always like that. That's, you know, and Glenn was great with the fans too, but he wasn't like Jerry. Like Jerry put on his, his misery gear and his makeup and stuff and then go out and work work the club or work <laughs> the venue or whatever. Absolutely. Go, go along and say, you know, but that's half the fun. You know, meet people and all, and they're all there to see you and stuff. So he was great at that, you know. And, uh, and Glenn Doyle just kind of stayed in the back. And after the shows, they would talk to some fans and stuff. But Jerry was always like that. And I, you know, I never... And don't hear stories about people saying, "Oh, Jerry was so nice to me," and all this stuff. So you know, and he's still like that. Well, it's funny because I don't know if I've ever told you this. So you guys were touring with Caius and uh, Danzig, and Glenn had a crowd, and yeah, he was really nice when I met him. Um, I, you guys were nowhere to be found. I never saw you or Chuck or. Uh, John, but Glenn was, he was sitting at the, at the bottom of the bus steps and he, he must have signed for probably a fucking hour signing yeah. stuff for people. And I thought that was no, really we cool. Did, we did that after every show, but we, sometimes we were all on the same spot. Sometimes we were all in different parts of the venue. Like I would just go walk around or after, you know, and just go sit somewhere and then people would gather around and you just sit and talk and stuff. Sure. So we would be there for hours after the shows and sometimes we'd all be on the bus, you know, so people would send stuff or like, 
you know, they'd hand us stuff and we would sit and sign it and then hand it back out. Right. Or, or whatever. Or we, well, we'd be just hanging around the bus and taking pictures and just talking with people. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was part of the thing that we did every day. Um, unless we had to go leave because we, you know, we had to be on time for something. Sure. Um, we always stayed until everybody was gone. And then, you know, we would just, that was just a normal part of the day. You know, that's why he still does that stuff because it's just, it's just what you do. You know, I always thought it was awesome because there's so many, you know, back then, but even now, but, um, I remember, um, going to see you guys with typo and, and Godflesh and, um, it was at this weird venue. I may have told you about this before, but it was called the International Ballroom in Atlanta. And it was like an old airplane, either storage facility or they had turned it into a club. And yeah, that sounds familiar. It's, it's like these like airplane hangar gigs, you know. It was Well, it was really weird because I don't even think the fucking build. I went through Atlanta a few years ago and I was trying to just find where it was, you know, just so I could see the building again because I remember... I saw a lot of shows there because my mom was from Atlanta. And um, uh, I remember it was the weirdest thing, that venue, though, because like the stage was at one end of this building. And, and the best way I know how to describe it really is it was it was almost like a, like a fucking greenhouse. You know how a greenhouse is just really long and skinny, but it's, but it's big? It was bizarre. But I remember seeing you guys in there. And I mean, well, the coolest part of it, um, when the, when the show was over, you guys are out signing, and the, the typo guys were doing the same thing. You know, they're standing out there for hours signing stuff. Yeah, well, you know, that's maybe it's an East Coasty thing. It's just that you know they're all just regular guys. This is just you know they just happen to be in a band, so that's that's the way we looked at it too. It's just like this is what we do, and you guys are here and spending your money, and you you think it's great. So you know, why would we not like hang out? And, you know, talk and stuff. I mean, I used to invite people back to my hotel room. I would say, "Okay, we got a we got a day off tomorrow, so you know that means we can stay up and drink or do whatever." That's so awesome. I would, let, I would just let people come into my room, and they would just sit all around, and I would just sit there, and I would say, "What's where are you from? What do you what do you do?" And just go around and talk, and just sit there and drink, and you know, get stoned or whatever. It's amazing. You know? Yeah, and just because I mean, otherwise. You don't even remember the shows. It's just like all blurs together. So that way you could talk to people and you make, you know, connections or whatever. And it's just, it's the way you can remember the show. And those people remember everything you said and everything you were doing and whatever. Sure. You know? I still hear from people going, oh, you remember this? I'm like, no. <laughs> like I, was, I was like, oh, you had four drinks by that time, you know, or right. Well, I mean, I, I was... You know, it was it was really cool because there are a lot of bands, and I'm sure you do not do that. In fact, they get mad if you do that. I remember. I mean, I haven't done that kind of shit in years. I guess I'm aggravating people now with interviews, but it's more of, you know, when I would go to the show, there were a lot of bands. They didn't want anything to do with you. You know, you try to talk to them or get something signed or something. They absolutely wanted nothing to do with it. Well, the whole meet and greet thing started in probably like. Like eighty nine or ninety, we we had this one company. It was like you know they were going to run the fan club. And since I had been answering all the mail, Glenn says, "Okay, you're in charge of the fan club." So 
I had to deal with these things. And they started coming up with this thing. They said, well, it's going to be a meet and greet. I'm like, what's that? And they said, well, after the show, we're going to have a certain amount of people who are like either won a contest or they actually went out and did something like um, they used to give these people, you know, uh, assignments. They say, well, if you want to meet the band and you have to go to the local record store and put up these flyers and promote the show or you have to call the local radio station and get them to play dancing and tell them about the show and stuff. So that's what they do. And these would be special. They would say, "Okay, you got these people are like from your they would call like your force team or something that was like the, 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 you know, uh, the groundwork, you know, or the, the, the grass, whatever they call grassroots, you know, scene. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So these are the people that are actually trying to get your record played, trying to get your videos on MTV. They're calling and doing all this stuff and they just want to meet you guys. And of course, how could you say no to that? So then all of a sudden it just became a regular thing to where we would just hang around and say, well, do we got to, you know, leave or maybe some, somebody's trying to get late so that we got to spend time, you know, <laughs> waiting for them to make their move or whatever. And so it just became an everyday thing. And then as time went on, then people started like charging for it. And, you know, they have these special, like there'd be 40, 50 people in a room and you just come by and you you shake hands and you walk through and this, that, and the other thing. Now, we actually just sat and talked with people and, um, you know, let them take pictures and ask us whatever they wanted. And just when the bus was ready to go, we'd say, okay, well, got to leave, you know. Right. But I don't remember anybody doing that stuff before that period because the bands were just too big. You know, you can't, can you imagine Led Zeppelin doing a meet and greet, you know, <laughs> you know or any of those bands? It just, but it became became a thing and now it's a thing where they can make money because it's it's so much harder to make money on the roads. So. absolutely yeah and i understand that i just it meant you know when i was growing up you know my my old man would beat the shit out of me and pull a gun on me and all kinds of shit and it was it meant the world to me when glenn stood there and talked to me for a few minutes you know like as a teenager, it was like, this is really fucking cool, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, but they, they always say, oh, don't meet your heroes or whatever, because it could go bad, and then it could ruin it for you. Sure. So it's definitely a, a, a crapshoot. You never know. But I was, over the years, I got so many letters and, you know, things from fans saying, oh, Glenn was in a bad mood, and he didn't want to sign this, and he did this, that, and the other I said, yeah, you know what? Could have been, he could have had a cold could have maybe not gotten enough sleep sure. something could be going on in his life that you have no idea and he doesn't want to be there Absolutely. He doesn't want to. i said you got to give the guy you know these are regular people you're talking about and they, they could be having a bad day you know it's not not everybody could be gene simmons and just turn it on and off or or like steven tyler which can't wait to get in the middle of a room and start talking and signing autographs doing not everybody digs that stuff right and you know so yeah you it's sometimes it's hard for you to hide how you really feel you know and so but other times people would say oh he was so gracious and he smiled and we talked about comic books and all this and you know so i was just like yeah you gotta you gotta it's you're taking a chance but you know, you got to also consider that these are regular people. You know, they have lives and maybe maybe they had a burrito that's not sitting well with them. Right. right. Now. <laughs> they just want to get the hell out of there. You know, 
it's all kinds of stuff, you know. It's like the tour's not going good. It's hard to smile, you know. Well, it was weird. Like, I never, like, you and Glenn were my favorite members of the band, and I, I never got to meet you, but it was it was funny, like, the the show with Typo and Godflesh. Um, Peter, man, I can't say enough good stuff about that guy, man. He, he would hang out. I, I bet I hung out with that dude like 40 times. Oh, yeah. Well, he's just a regular guy. You Man, know? I mean, he's just... real funny and, you know, just... Oh, I loved hanging out with Pete, you know. Was, the whole band I liked. They, I mean, they were... You know, Johnny was... Josh is super one. cool. Yeah, Josh, if you could get him to talk at all. Um, <laughs> but and Kenny was always crazy. And, but, but Pete was always fun to just hang out with and just make jokes with and just watch... I used to love just watch people's reactions to him and, you know... And the way he would work the crowd, you know, he was great at that. Oh, man, it was like, I drove once from Florida to see them in Ohio. I I went and caught a couple other shows on the way, but my plan was to start there and kind of go down because they were about to start going down south. And I got to the Cleveland show, and the damn thing was sold out. Hell, he walked me in with him. It's pouring down rain. He's like, just, dude, you're good. Come on, I'll just walk you. I mean, nobody ever did that for me. And and it's funny because you remember that shit into your life. You know, like, it got me through some rough shit. I had, like I said, my old man, you know, he, he'd rather knock me across the room than fucking talk to me. So it's like, it that kind of shit. And, you know, it sucks because I never got to thank him. You know, he passed away before I could ever say, hey, man, you know what, man? You really, that was fucking awesome doing that for me. And, like, you doing this. You've done this multiple times with me. It means the world to me. And it's funny because there just there are people though that I just think on the other side of it I don't think they realize what a few minutes can do for somebody. Like it it changed my life, you know, Peter doing that stuff. So Yeah, I, I think you just have to have the right attitude. Mine always was like uh, I, from uh, from Elvis, all right. Elvis used to go down and sign autographs for like an hour or so. Like when he was at home, every night he'd go down, take pictures, talk to the fans, and he'd sign some autographs. And I said to myself, I said, you know, you don't get bigger than Elvis. I said, if Elvis can do it, I can do it. And that's awesome. And I, I started answering all the mail anyway uh, because I was the only one that gave a shit. You know, most people be like, yeah, you can't answer fan mail because it could get you in trouble which uh, happens a lot because people think you know all of a sudden you have a relationship they, they told me right. don't answer more than one letter from right. each person sure. uh, but I was doing all that anyway and then when people started coming around and and they were telling you oh it was a great show and I really loved it and the record all how could you just like not as a you know you're an egomaniac anyway when you're in a band so how could you not like to sit around and talk to people while they're telling you how great you are? I mean, it doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me that you, that you wouldn't want to do that. And these people, you you want repeat customers as well. You know, you want them to buy the next record. It is the way you make your living, right? You know. So it, to me, it's it's besides just being the right thing to do because as a fan, I totally would just go like, well, he, you know, they didn't, they wouldn't even look at me or didn't talk to me, or whatever, and I can crush you you know it's the right thing to do but it's also um it's just being a regular person and you know being a real person and you know you wouldn't treat a stranger like that you know or whatever so these people 
buy your records and they came to see you you know some of them traveled great distances it's like you you, you should appreciate that and we certainly did i know i did you know it's and it's awesome because but i said you know and i i'm with you i you know i think people have bad days and you know bad ex, you know they, well yeah, everybody does sure so but but it sucks because in some of those situations if you're the fan it it's it can be devastating i've, I've actually unfortunately been on that end of it and when I was younger, you know, it's funny you brought up Gene Simmons earlier. Gene Simmons, I, I was never really a big Kiss guy, but I was at one of the uh, conventions that they do in Vegas for my job, and he was in there taking pictures with people because I guess he was just walking around or whatever. And I caught him, I guess, when he was trying to get out of there, you know, because I was just going to be like, well, you know, because I liked Kiss when I was, you know, younger. I don't. Twelve. Yeah. Right. And I thought, well, this will be cool. And I walk up to him, and he literally told me to fuck off. And I was like, I'll be completely honest with you. I've, I've never went to see him since. I've never given him any money. It, you know, it was just... And it, 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 I get it. He was trying to get the hell out of there, and I was that asshole, you know, but... Yeah, well, it, just, it was just bad timing. If you had gotten him 10 minutes earlier... Oh, yeah. It would have been fun. But it's also like, he's... When you're that big, I mean... You know, it's it's totally different. Like I, I hear stories about these famous people saying, of, like they stop giving autographs and all this. I'm like, well, how how could they do that? Then they explain, like, okay, this is my day, and this is what happened today. And they, you, if you add up all the minutes that they spent talking to people and signing stuff, right. whatever, <laughs> that's like eight hours of their day. And these people decided. Well, like I want to have a life, and I just can't do all this. So, you know, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, like I, I go to a convention, and you come to see me, and I'm sitting there, and you buy something or whatever, or you pay for my autograph. That's one thing. But if you see me in Kroger and you ask me for an autograph, I'm not going to say, "Yeah, give me twenty dollars." Um, you just do it, you know. But right. people say, you know, like, well, I think it was Paul Newman or somebody really famous that said. Uh, yeah, well, when did you stop giving autographs? He said, I was in a restaurant and I was pissing. I had my dick in my hand and some guy asked me for my autograph. <laughs> and, and, he, and he said, that's when I decided I was going to stop doing autographs, you know, stuff like that. And I can understand that. And you see famous people, Jesus Christ, you ever see signatures for famous people? Oh, yeah. You can't even tell what the hell it is. Yeah. I, I always say that whenever I get something signed by, whenever I see Doyle, I always get him to sign something. And I or. You know, I got one time I got all the guys, you know, Graves and Chud and Jerry all to sign something. And I said, give me a nice signature, will you? I said, something so I can read it. Don't give me what you give everybody else. Give me a nice signature. I tell them, sign it right there. Don't sign it over there. You know, because these guys are famous for not signing in a good place. They'll just, you know, it's ridiculous. I'm like, when you lay out a record, I mean, come on. First thing I do is like, oh, there's a good place to sign right there. You know, it's just all kinds of things, like the books, all this. I'm like, yeah, I need one blank page here for, for signing. Right. You know, it's like, so it's like, and I, I'm, I'm a collector, so I'm like, why did you sign right over the best part of the album? <laughs> you know, there's plenty of blank spaces. Plus, I can't even read that. You can't give me more than two initials. It's like the guys in Metallica, like Kirk went from Kirk Hammett to K.H., in like a matter of years <laughs> now it's like you can't even tell and you know, james used to be james headfield now it's just james he doesn't even spell it the same you that's know, funny yeah you know but i'm always like give me a nice signature <laughs> you know. 
But, you know, it's funny. Speaking of them, um, one of the last shows um, that Motorhead did was in Charlotte. And I went with a buddy of mine that I actually do this podcast with, my co-host, Corey. And we went, because he had never seen Motorhead, so we went and I was like, we got to see Motorhead, you know. And we go, and... He he had kind of my co-host had kind of just wandered off. He's watching the show, whatever. And I had kind of got over in an area where I probably wasn't supposed to be, but I was actually just trying to find the fucking can so I could piss. And there was Lars, and he's just watching the show, trying to have a good time. And you know what? I I may, even though I've never met him, and I, I'm a fan, and I but I made the conscious decision to go. You know what? I'm just going to go find the head and leave him the hell alone because. Yeah, I saw that too. And I, even though I'm going to probably regret that because I could have said, hey, I finally got to meet Lars. You know, I've listened to him my whole life and I could have. But I, I, I decided to just. Yeah. 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 It's sometimes, I mean, I, when I used to, uh, we lived in Hollywood, so I used to run into a lot of famous people. And it was sometimes you would just go, you know, you just give them like the what's up thing and you just keep walking. Right. Or, you know, if you catch them, whatever. You know, usually people that are like, in, you know, in show business, you know, like you're in the same kind of job. Right. So you just, you might just do that. That's all. I've done that a million times. You just pass somebody on the street and you just give them the what's up. Like, yeah, I know who you are. You know who I am. And you keep going, you know. Nice. <laughs> there's other times, there's other times I remember seeing people and going, oh, I would love to go fuck with this person right now. Just go, <laughs> just go and just start talking or just do something. And, and half the time I'd go, oh, fuck, I don't want to bother him, you know. So that was very nice of you to just leave Lars alone, you know. I mean, I would have, like I said, I've never got to meet any of the, the Metallica guys, but I, I thought it would have been really cool. But it was weird. It was, I was just kind because I think everyone that was there knew, you know, Lemmy wasn't getting better. And we had seen him before the show getting oxygen on his bus. Because I saw people over there trying to bother him for like an autograph and shit. Same thing. Didn't do that either. Even though I, I, I didn't ever get to meet Lemmy. But I was like, you know, that's I'm not going to be that guy today. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah, no. that's, that was, that's very We cool. were trying to do it. But then after after we saw it, my co-host and I saw him get the oxygen. And we were just like, you know. Because Anthrax was on the bill too. And we were like, we're not even going to bother them. We're just going to go watch the show. So we did. But like I said, it was funny. I got, I got fate tempted me again because there, there was Lars, which I was like, holy shit. And he was, I'm sure he would have probably been cool or maybe he wouldn't have. But I didn't even chance. I was like, you know what? If I go do this, because no one had noticed him because he had like a hoodie on, but it was definitely him. And I was like, you know, I'm going to leave him alone because he's going to get mobbed if I go get yeah, a picture with him. So nobody's bothering him and you would blow his whole cover. Correct. Out. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to just keep it right in the universe and I'm not going to do anything. And, I, and again, I'm glad we did that because that show, he did one more show in Florida, which I wasn't living in Florida at the time. And then he did that whole tour of like Germany and then he passed away. So I'm I'm glad we went because my coast would have never seen him. But I'll never forget that. It was the weirdest thing. Like, you know, because Metallica is a huge, huge, huge band now. And it's like, he's just standing there. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to be that asshole. And I'm sure somebody may have ended up being that asshole, but it wasn't me. So I felt like I kind of kept my karma good that night. <laughs> I see, but I'm, I'm still like, I'm, I'm old fashioned. And I've always been into like, you know, the older generations, you know, movie stars and musicians and stuff and i think you know when you sign up to be 
you know, you're going to be in the movies or you're going to be in a band. That comes with the job, you know, the meeting the, meeting the fan, your fans and the public. <laughs> I mean, if you're out in public and somebody, you know, stops talking to you, that's part of the job, you know. And if you can't handle it, then don't go out of the house or don't do that job. You know, like right. there's so many bands, you know, they'd be like, oh, man, I wish people just leave me alone so I could just make my music and do this, that, and the other thing. I was like, dude, you want to stop being a rock star? All you got to do is stop being a rock star, okay? You stop putting out records, stop doing shows. People will leave you alone in droves, you know? It's like, so I believe, you know, like, if you don't want somebody to take a bad picture of you, then don't go out looking like a jerk-off, you know? Go, you will take, you know, if you're a woman, put on your makeup, put on something nice, whatever. You're going to go down to this grocery store, and they're going to take your picture anyway, might as well, you know, don't complain about it afterwards. It's, it's something you should have done. I, dude, that's brilliant. And I 100% agree with you. I don't, I, I've never understood, you know, athletes are like, they get mad. It's like, what, did you not know that you were going to be dealing with fans and media? And Yeah, it's not always, you know, you, yeah, when you play baseball, you, you're in complete control because they're all around you, but they can't get to you when you walk to the plate. And they all cheer for you. That's you. You've got to totally under control. Right. But when you're out, you're out at the grocery store. You're actually in their fucking field. Yeah. So you know, you're, so you gotta you gotta play by their rules. And it's just a, it's just a thing you have to do. You want to stop being a public figure? Just stop being a public figure. It's easy enough to do. People forget you like in no time. You know what I mean? Amen. That's true. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's just like dying. Before you know it, you know, nobody even remembers what you did. So, you know, it, I just, I'm just old fashioned when it comes to that. That's part of your job, you know. Well, I, I love that, that you guys were always like that. Like I said, it's, there, there are a lot of bands that weren't. And then again, I get it. Or some of you catch them a bad day, like the, you know, but it's, was there ever a, um, a celebrity that you, you were like, you know what, fuck it. Like there's, someone standing there an actor or somebody that you were like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and do this because i'm never gonna get to do it again Nah, i'm not really like that oh, okay um, i i would i would see somebody you know i had plenty of opportunities over the years to go up to people and i would if the moment seemed right or if you're in a conversation and somebody introduces you you know you just act like a regular person but nah, i never really um had anybody you know that i had to meet or whatever it's just like, yeah, that's cool. But, you know, if you don't have a mutual friend, it's kind of like going up and saying, hey, I really love your work. This, that, you know, that's just not my style. Sure, I, absolutely. You know, I've met people that I admired that just, it was one of those things where, you know, oh, you're going to see the Allman Brothers. Oh, stand on stage next to Greg. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, here's Greg. Oh, have you met Greg? Oh, hi, Greg. How are you? Oh, love your music. Thanks. You know, that's about that's about it. When it's other musicians, I've sat down and talked to people I had never met that were like famous, mm -hmm. and just started talking to them like like another musician, and then everything goes fine. You know, sure. like at, the, at the conventions, everybody's sitting there signing, trying to make some extra money or whatever. I just go up to people. I was like, "Oh, little Anthony." I was like, "Oh, I love I love your music since I was a little kid." Oh, my favorite song is this, and just say you get paid. He's like, "Yeah, is your tour going okay?" You know, just just regular stuff. And nobody said, "Hey." I just would go right up to sit down next to him and say, "How's it going, man?" You know, 
It's like when you're all in the same club, it's no big deal. But no, I've never really run into anybody. I mean, Prince was was one thing. I just like sort of bumped into him and was just like, okay, I'm just going to get out of your way now, that kind of deal, you know. Were you all in the studio? Yeah. It was just it was just one of those things. And you run into and any... The funniest thing is you would forget that other people have this same job, you know? Right. You're like, <laughs> and you, like I, I ran into Johnny Depp at the uh, rehearsal studio, and I didn't know he was a, was a guitar player before he was an actor. And I just turned... I was just walking down a hall to go to the bathroom or whatever, and I'm like, what are you doing here? And he says, like, he goes, I'm working on a whatever. I'm doing this. Um, you know, he says, what are you doing here? I said, I'm working on a new record. And that was as far as it went. And I just said, bye. And That's was, awesome. <laughs> but, you know, it's just like you never, you know, you forget that other people, they're just, especially if you just run into them, you said, oh, I just saw you on television or whatever. It's just, it's just a weird, it's just a weird thing. Oh, yeah. Now living in California was that was that weird as opposed to being in you know Lodi your whole, most of your or your whole life and on the East Coast was yeah. that well yeah we knew people at East Coast and West Coast are completely different we knew people who had you know grew up and had had that East Coast edge and went to California and completely lost it and became surfers and hippies and <laughs> and stuff. So we were like, yeah, we didn't want to do that. Glenn had told me so many horror stories about the times he'd been in California, how the cops used to fuck with them and all this stuff. So it wasn't something I wanted to do. Uh, but Glenn was just like, Rick's moving the record company out to L.A. He goes, um, I think I'm going to move out there, too. And he goes, and he, he just says, what are you guys doing? That, that was it. That was, we were just sitting there and he goes, what are you guys doing? And we just looked at each other and said, guess we're moving too. And That's that was it. Like right then, we could all, the band could have broke up right then. That was before, um, what was, I mean, the first record had just had been out. But that was it. We could have broke up the band right there by not moving to California. You know? Oh, wow. And, and we just said, I guess we're going too. And that was it. And as soon as we got there, I mean, we hated it, but we got to like it pretty quick. And, you know, the weather was always great. It was, the, the women were beautiful. You know, everybody, you know, there was famous people everywhere. Everybody you knew was in a band out there. You know, it was, it was great, you know. I lived out there briefly. I lived in the um, Santa Cruz area. There was a chick I was kind of shacked up with years years ago. But it, I, I couldn't afford to live out there. I mean, she was really well off which I am not. And when we split up, I was like, hell, I've got to go back. I've got to go back to Florida. Like, I can't. Um, I, I loved it out there, but I way too fucking expensive. And this was years ago. Um, oh, yeah. I, I couldn't afford to live there even when I was in the band. It was just like I always had, you know, roommate or lived with somebody. Okay. You know? Yeah, I didn't have a car or nothing, you know. So as soon as, as, soon as I mean, yeah, it's a great place to be if you have money sure you know other than that i couldn't afford to live there you know so i was you know i moved as soon as i broke up with this chick and i couldn't afford my own apartment i moved back to jersey mm. and you, know, you not like it's not like the band was making me enough money that i could afford my own apartment right you know but you were out there for a long time not like five years oh okay that's not it's so it's funny because i 
I've lived in I lived in Philadelphia for a while. Then I ended up in California, but I always seem to end up back in Florida. It's funny. I lived in Tennessee for a little bit too, but I I've always ended up back here. I don't know why. I think you just get I, I don't like being away from the ocean, which is, I guess, kind of stupid, but I just, I've gotten oh, kind of used that's to a, it. That's a, that's a, like a base instinct. That's something that's inside of you and people, some people that just nature and stuff, they have to be near it. That's totally normal. You know, that's why people move to the mountains or whatever. Right. It's just, it's just a thing. You just have to be around it. It's, you know, plus the ocean has a lot of, you know, the just magnetic stuff and all kinds of things, that, you know have to do with you know human beings so it's, it's probably some call of the wild maybe. right <laughs> so t- to wrap everything up tonight what with your photography um what got you interested early on with photography i know we kind of talked about it a little bit before um but i, I was curious because are you still you seem to still be really in, in your i love your artwork if I've never told you that, so. No, oh, thanks. You know, I still take pictures when when I um, when like friends' bands are play or somebody's doing a show. I'll be able to bring a camera and take pictures. Just everybody always needs pictures, right? And so I'll just now it's easy just to send them like, oh, this is what I took today. So I still do that. Um, but no, I just it was something my dad got interested in, and he, you know, naturally I was like, you know seven eight years old he's just like hey you know i'll show you how to take pictures whatever so i just got into it then and then when you get into like middle school it's an easy way to start talking to girls you know you say hey let me take your picture (laughs) so that's that's how how it really happened and then once you get good at it you know it's uh i was like considering you know trying to be a photographer you know make a living at it but it was you know it's a nightmare trying to do that in the city and i was just like nah i'm not doing this so I just took pictures of my friends' bands and stuff like that, and you know, it wasn't wasn't too much. It just happened to be like everybody I knew turned out to be famous, you know, right? <laughs> or rich and famous, you know, or one of those deals. So I'm like, oh, let's put out a book. Yeah. yeah. So how did how did all that come about with the book? Oh, I was trying. I, I always knew I was going to put out a book eventually. You know, sure. Uh, I was, you know, Glenn would say, "What are you taking a picture of this for? What are you doing this for?" I was like, "It's for the book." You know, so I always said, uh, you know, everybody knew. I kept everything, and I was like the documentarian, you know, and I was always making sure we had a picture or a video or writing something down or have the poster from the gigs. You know, I was just keeping the, all that stuff, and uh, I just wanted to do it this is i thought the pictures were great you know and that i just tried for like 10 years to get anybody interested and i just didn't know how to go about it till i worked with the guys from caroline on uh, some of the misfit stuff and uh everybody was like oh you should do a book and i'm like yeah but i can't get my foot in the door and so it was like oh i know a guy at the dark horse you know the comic company yeah putting out books and he says, I bet you I can get him to, you know, and they'll put it out. And that's how it happened. It was, you know, just luck. The older you get, the more connected you become because all the people that grew up on your music are now like running companies and stuff. Right. So that's how, it, you, if you can live long enough to exploit that, you know, that's 
that's a good thing, you know. I think the rec, the book should have come, the second book should have already been out during this whole Misfits reunion thing, but uh, didn't work out that way. But so I'm still going to put it out anyway because you know I just want people to see the pictures. So you know, give me something else to promote, and I can you know try to make money, you know. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. And as far as the painting, have you done that? Is that something you've been to all your life? Doing painting? Yeah, I started drawing when I was five, and I probably started painting a few years after that. And I, I didn't do it full time until about 25 years ago, where I just said, well, this is what I want to do. And I started painting like every day. And then I said, well, maybe somebody wants to, you know, would want to buy some of these. And I started auctioning them, you know, around the same time, and people started buying them. And I was just like, okay, well, every once in a while I'll sell some. So I just keep doing that, and it's it's also good when I'm not writing songs. It's another creative outlet, and in between, sometimes I'm writing songs at the same time. You know, sometimes I'm just painting, but it's just something I've done my whole life, and it's you know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Every time on Facebook, and people listening to this, I'm not encouraging you to aggravate this man, but. When he's doing this, you should. I'm always dead last by the time you've put something up. You're like, hey, if you want this, message me. <laughs> and it's got like a Z in likes. And you, I love your artwork. Um, and that's been my exposure to it, seeing you when you post it, stuff you're selling. Um, it, it, it's cool as shit. Like you, it's funny. Like it, you can tell you did it, even though, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's weird. It's like, being part of a cult all these years of my life listening to your music and then you you know you do art and it's like oh well, you can tell he did that i mean i yeah i don't know well everything is i mean there's a reason i was in those bands you know it's because right. that's, that's the kind of person i am you know i love it so everything's a little bit on the spooky side always or you know there's in this the record i just did when i listen back to it i'm like yeah, this this could be some of these songs could have been on some records I did 10, 15 years ago. They're still they're right. still spooky and uh, everything's going to be a little dark. I like shadows and all kinds of stuff and all those paintings just come out and they're all like just subconscious and dreams and weird shit. I never know what's going to happen when I start painting. It's almost like the you know writing a song, you don't know where it's going to go. You know, and right. I never, I never like a lot of people. I don't sit down and say, "Well, today I'm going to write this kind of song, or sure. today I'm going to paint this kind of picture." You know, so it just comes out the way it comes out, and people either like it or they don't. You know, it doesn't matter. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll paint and just I'll paint for the you know till the day I die, just because I have to. You know, and if people buy it or like it, that's a bonus. Just like the records, it's like we didn't care. We never cared, you know, if you like, you like it, great. If you don't, who cares? Right. You know, or if you don't, don't come to the show. Don't, you know, go fuck yourself, whatever. <laughs> it was one, one of those, we, we, that was the attitude we always have, and it's the attitude I still have. I'm like, yeah, I'd like you to, to listen or to buy the record, but if you don't like it, first of all, you don't have to tell me, and second of all, it's okay, because you're, you're probably not my audience anyway. You know, like, I don't right. want you to like it. You know? Absolutely. No, it's the same. It's just the same attitude we always have. That's probably why Glenn and I, you know, start started the band together because we thought 
the same way. You know, we had the same attitude. It's like, I'm, we're going to do this anyway, whether you like it or not. Right. You know, so, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. And now I'm not as mean as I used to be. Now it's, now it's kind of like I'm casual. Like, yeah, you don't like it. That's fine. You know, <laughs> I, I don't get upset. You don't like the record. That's fine. I don't expect you to like it. And, you know, I, I do what I do for myself first. You know, it's nice to be able to make a living at it if you can. But you got to please yourself when you do anything, you know, like artwork or creative-wise. And then you hope you can find an audience or that they'll find you. But other than that, you have to do what you do to make yourself happy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah, the, the paintings are always cool. I love your post and it's Like I said, I'm always too late to the, to the dance, but... I have to get something from you sometime. I I love it. I, like every one I've ever seen you do, they're always. <clears throat> you can just tell you did it. I don't know how to explain that complimentary, but it's just it's fucking no, awesome. No, it's cool. I've got a couple different styles, but yeah, I mean, if you put them all in a room, there would be similarities where you'd be able to tell if you've seen them before. But right, yeah, I and I also do like for Halloween, I'll do some of the old candy bag type artwork that people love you know the oh yeah stuff, the stuff that i grew up on the 60s and 70s you know all the bags all the candy came in little bags that people would you know fold or tie up and then put in your shopping bag or whatever for trick-or-treat and they all had these cool like you know pumpkins and witches and stuff so i do stuff like that people I love it people love those they, they can't get enough of them you know and i'm like well i don't want to just do them just to sell them because that's not much fun i do what i feel like it right yeah you know? absolutely and i have i have a canvas that i painted the other day that's just i usually start with just a big orange canvas and then i start adding like pumpkins and ghouls and stuff and people i'll just put it up it'll be gone in five minutes you know oh so, yeah like i said by the time i end up seeing the post it's got a zillion likes and then it's got <laughs> it's gone it's like okay <laughs> But, yeah, I, I, you know, usually people are like instantly saying, oh, I want this, I want this, and then I never hear from them again. Or I tell them how much it costs, and then they say, okay, and they never talk to me. I'm like, the people are afraid to say, that's too much money for me, or I can't afford it, which I totally understand. I, t I told somebody the other day, I'm like, listen, I don't want your money. I said, you, 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 you go out and buy groceries with it, okay? Like, go fix your car or whatever. Don't buy this stupid painting because you don't really need it, you know? stuff like that and you know it's i'm like i don't want your money i don't, <laughs> i need the people that that have disposable income they've got the bills paid they've got the kids all handled they've got little money on the side for their collecting habits yeah i said those are the people i want absolutely you know, because they're not going to miss it and it makes them feel good to hang up a painting of mine in their office you know what i mean or absolutely I, I said but i don't want the guy that says let me move some i gotta pay this bill or that bill I'm like, nah, nah. You, when you've got a couple hundred bucks you ain't doing nothing with you then you call me you know but absolutely and you know something i sort of enjoyed it phantasm